Hello, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I am your host, Austin Glidden, and today we are brought to you, as always, by the Film Yap. Go check out thefilmyap.com for all things film, because, you know, they'll never shut up about movies over there. All right, you can also find us, um, you know, on social media. You can go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and you can at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter, and we'll be there. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Remember, Medium Cool Pod, that's the big thing. But today, Martin Scorsese turns 78 years old. Homie is old as fuck and making awesome movies. I love you, Martin Scorsese. Thank you for existing. I'll watch Italian American just to see your parents again because I love them for making you. You are wonderful. And today we are celebrating Martin Scorsese's birthday by looking at all of his, you know, uh, feature films, starting with Boxcar Bertha and going through the 70s and all the way to 1989. We plan to do the 90s another time, and we plan to you know do the 2000s and 2010s. I mean, he, he's made so many movies. Dude's worked in, you know, like 50 or 50 and five or six different decades. Okay, that's crazy. So, you know, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. We're going to hit all the spots. Um, but the two movies I just mentioned actually lost our poll. Um, and to some, that's surprising. Uh, it was uh, on Twitter, we had a poll that was Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and The King of Comedy. The King of Comedy won by 75%. Now, granted, we didn't have a ton of, of, uh, of um, uh, submissions, I guess I could say. Um, but still, doesn't matter. King of Comedy won, so we're going to be doing a longer, full discussion of the King of Comedy, and we're going to basically be doing like uh, shorter overviews of the rest, but we really want to celebrate his work by kind of walking through from Boxcar Bertha to New York Stories, and so that'd be really fun, and uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. It's uh, Joe and I, you know, as always, and we're, we're just sitting back and shooting the shit about Scorsese movies. Why? Because again, we, we we love Scorsese. He's great. He brought us Goodfellas and Casino and 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 Bring Out Your Dead, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Uh, we we could talk about so many. He's so great. Why wouldn't you like the guy? He's awesome. Anyways, I'm kind of on one. I'm a little tired too. Uh, working into the night, you know, on this. It it actually airs tomorrow, so that that's kind of why I have like an hour and a half to finish this. To I sh- probably shouldn't be saying this. It doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, I'm having a great time, and I'm tired, but I'm talking about Scorsese, and it's awesome, and and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I have, uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I'm saying. Please go check out our social media and stuff, and let us know what you like. Let us know your favorite Scorsese movie. Let us know all the things that you think about Scorsese, because we would love to hear your feedback as well, but without, with, without any more, you know, ramblings of Austin, uh, we're going to go ahead and get to Joe and I's conversation about Martin Scorsese in the 70s and 80s. Joe, how you doing? Good. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing all right. I got a tattoo. I don't know if you can see this. Uh, You probably can't see it very well. It doesn't really matter. It hurts really badly from healing. And I've never gotten one on the inside of, like, the elbow pit, or as they call yeah. the ditch, which is one of the more painful places. 
And yeah. I must content I must admit, yes, it was very painful, more tolerable than I expected. But it gets dry as fuck, dude. And so like <laughs> and I can't find like lotion that will like moisturize it enough uh-huh. to like make it not just feel like death all the time. Yeah. Um and then my boss had this awesome like n- like no scent stuff with aloe in it or whatever and it's like made it's changed my life. So yeah. you you asked how I'm doing well, and and that's honestly kind of at the it. top of my list of what I think about most days these days. Um yeah. but you know I w- I want to start before we get into uh, Scorsese stuff in the 70s and 80s. Um is there anything worth mentioning that you've seen lately, good or bad? Anything that you can think of? I didn't prep you for this, so this is off the top right, of your head. Right, I know. So, so yeah, so I got to get on my letterbox because I did, I did watch Hillbilly Elegy, and it's, you know, it's gotten a lot of press for being bad, and it absolutely lives up to being bad. So I saw this documentary, Crazy Not Insane. Uh, it, it follows a psychiatrist who studies kind of the, you know, the, the worst of the deviant criminal behavior to the point where she's involved in a lot of capital murder cases. She's spoken with a lot of people who have been executed. Um, she spent time talking to Ted Bundy, for example, and she has really great insights into that, you know, that really like the worst of the worst criminal behavior. And she had some really cool things actually to talk about uh, um, Ted Bundy, things that I didn't know is kind of a, I don't want to say a fan of Ted Bundy because, you know, you know, he, as a, you know, as a, someone who follow has followed that case, you know, and it's with, with some fascination, they were kind of some new things I'd never heard of. Um, so that was, that was a um, terrific documentary. And um, another one that I just watched last night was called Emperor, um, which is about, uh, you know, it's a civil war era, um, uh, you know, slavery uh, based on a legend. Um, again, I don't want to say too much about it uh, other than other than it was it was pretty good worth watching. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but, um, you know, maybe we'll talk about it Very sooner or cool. later as, as things are coming out. Yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, crazy, not insane documentary I've heard a lot about, and I would love to see that. I haven't seen it yet. And the the you text me about hillbilly elegy, um, <laughs> and I I can't tell if you're being cheeky or not because you were like, yeah, we, you should watch it so we can talk about how bad it is, and maybe we can torture our listeners yeah. that way. I think that'd be great. Um, uh, hey, if you want to yeah, hear yeah. our thoughts on hillbilly elegy, I will watch it. Uh, Joe's already mm-hmm. watched it and listeners we will give you yeah. what you want. If you want to hear it, tell us, um, yeah. you know, uh, one last, uh, kind of little icebreaker here for you, Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. how do you feel about Scorsese in general? Let's, let's go ahead and start getting into Scorsese's world here mm-hmm. before we actually work into the seventies and get into a specific, uh, kind of era of him. And, and let me tell the listeners real quick. Uh, I know I already said this in the intro, but just as a reminder, uh, we're focusing on the 70s and 80s because Scorsese is, has been working through something like five or six decades. Um, yeah. You know, like it's crazy how much work he has. Um, so uh, Joe had the great idea of us just kind of breaking this up into kind of more bite-sized pieces. And I felt like mm-hmm. uh, 70s and 80s was a whole lot easier for us to break down combined. I think we could do a whole mm-hmm. thing on the 90s by itself. Um, and then, you know, sometime we'll probably do something in the 2000s, maybe combine that with the 2010s. I'd have to look into it. But my point is, this is basically part one of the Martin Scorsese celebration, even if it takes us a year to, until his next <laughs> birthday to get to 
the next bit of it. Uh, I would love to do that. So anyways, um, yeah, before we get into those two decades, 70s and 80s, though, Joe, just what are your general feelings about Scorsese? Yeah, you know, obviously he's he's one of the masters, right? He's one of the, uh, um, the you know, the tippy top directors, you know, I don't know, is he an auteur, I guess? Um, I would consider you know, him so, yes. Yeah, he's he's got that, you know, he's got his distinctive style. Um, he's made some great movies. Um, he, you know, obviously he has his, you know, his, his wheelhouse, I guess, you know, it's kind of that gangster, you know, sort of thing, you know, the, you know, he did that Goodfellas casino, you know, that where he's making gangster movies, but man, he's made some just absolute classics, right? Just, you know, you just go down the line and any movie, you know, that has his name on it, you know, is going to get some t- attention, right? If not, you know, become a, a favorite come awards time. Um, you know, he famously has won just the, the one directing Oscar. Um, you know, obviously he's probably deserved several more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that is what it is at this point. Um, he, you know, I, I think he kind of transcends that. Um, and man, he's gone on, you know, in the the 2000s and the, the 2010s and has made some just really some of the tippy top movies of those decades, too. So, he, you know, he's really kind of stood the test of time. Yeah, I, I would go as far as to say, you know, when I was talking to Bain, uh, their vocalist Bedard brought up, uh, he just started naming Scorsese movies. We we're talking about The Irishman, but he was naming just all of these others and about how he has all these perfect movies. And I was picking up on him saying that and I thought about it and I was like, man... Every decade he's worked, I would say he probably has one of the films of that decade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would put Taxi yeah. Driver in the 70s. I'd put Raging Bull in the 80s. I'd put God, uh, Goodfellas up against anything in the 90s. You know, I'd have to mm-hmm. think about the 2000s and 2010s, but I guarantee he has something there that I would be like, I would put that somewhere on a list of this decade. Uh, and he, he re- he's also one of those guys that no matter what he does, because he, he notoriously, get kind of getting into it a bit, he notoriously started by wanting to do like these passion projects, but also understanding the studio game and knowing that he's going to make one for himself and he's going to make one for the studios. Um, so you can kind of see a series right. of movies. If you just look through his filmography, you'll be like, why did he do that? Or, or you know, like that's really out of character <laughs> for him. And it's like, yeah, they probably asked him to do it and he did it with the understanding of, yeah, but afterwards give me half this budget and I get to make what I want, right? Um, and, and he was always able to play with the, yes. with, uh, with that kind of a thing. So, um, you know, the thing that's really cool is I think even the movies I don't think are great by him, which are usually the ones uh, that he did for the studios that don't really kind of mm-hmm. have his... They might have his like visual thumbprint to some extent, but it's like not his kind of wheelhouse, as you put it. And I wouldn't even call it yeah. like just like gangster wheelhouse, though that is mostly what he's known for. But he does have a style, and he has a certain thing that can sometimes be watered down in some of these other movies, some of which we'll talk about today. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think even those movies are like the best they can be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's one of those oh, guys yeah. that no matter what he does, I feel like he always does the best version of that thing. Even if that thing can only be two and a half out of five stars, he made a two and a half out of five star movie. Like, that's the best this can be. 
and I, did, I have, I mean, I'll just let my bias out now. Um, I, I'm not one to just love everything he's done. He, is, he isn't Kubrick mm-hmm. for me. Okay? <laughs> I genuinely yeah. love all of Kubrick's stuff, but my point is, like, um, yeah, I, I'm not just going to, you know, kiss his ass and all that. I think he has a few stinkers, personally. But uh, I really adore him, and and I, I'm glad that you seem to like him and, and, and appreciate him as one of the greats, and um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and jump in here. You know, leading into his career... <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Leading into his career in the late 60s, uh, he made a movie called Who's That Knocking at My Door in 1967, which, if I remember correctly, was a graduate thesis uh, when he was in uh, film school. And then uh, he also did a documentary in 1970 called Street Scenes. Um, I actually haven't seen either one of those, but my point is he started with these kind of smaller pictures and a few shorts peppered throughout, but his first real feature, like the proper feature that he put out, was Boxcar Bertha, 1972. It stars Barbara Hershey, David Carradine, Victor Argo, and John Carradine, which is, you know, the father of David and Keith Carradine. Um, and it's about Boxcar Bertha Thompson, a transient woman in Arkansas during a violence-filled depression of the early 30s. She meets up with rabble-rousing union man Big Billy Shelley, and the two team up to fight the corrupt railroad establishment the movie uh was made for six hundred thousand dollars pretty crazy cool cast i mean uh how do you feel about this is a random question joe but how do you feel about uh someone like david carradine yeah i mean it's you know i haven't seen that much of him you know i mean obviously i've seen kill bill i've seen um um you know i've seen him in, in little bits of things here and there but man he's got a magnetism to him you know the um you know, I, I, I always talk about death race 2000. You know, that's another one that I, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I have seen him in that. Um, and you know, it's a thing where, you know, you see him and you're like, Holy crap, David Carradine, you know, obviously he, you know, he's known for Kung Fu, you know, way back when, um, but man, and you know, and, and I have to, I have to, you know, go kill bill as one of my touchstones for him. The, the scene that got me, um, that to me is like the essential David Carradine is at the end of Kill Bill Volume Two, when he is talking to Uma Thurman, and he's telling the story about Superman. Oh yeah, and he's making a sandwich, right? With a and giant just, knife, mind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the sandwich he makes is perfect. Like if you if you look at this this damn sandwich, it is perfect. Yeah, and and he does everything like he's and he's just like casually just throwing stuff in there, and and the whole time he's telling this story about Superman and his take on on Superman and Clark Kent, and you're like, it ties in as a pivotal moment of for the movie. It's a pivotal character moment for um, you know Beatrix Kiddo Uma Thurman's character and for him as well, and. It just it fits so perfectly, and he is just so cool in that whole scene. Yeah, you know, even even as she's here to kill him, right? He's just cool as a cucumber the whole time. So um, that that's kind of quintessential to me, um, as far as David Carradine goes. And he's, you know, uh, I've seen him in so much, and you know, he's he's done his share of cheese, but he's always been terrific in it, right? Yeah, he's yeah, he magnetism's a good way to put it. I mean, like you said, even in Kill Bill, he has a way of just kind of stealing the show. I really love him 
whenever he talks to uh, Beatrix um, outside mm-hmm. the chapel where he's playing the flute. Yeah. I love that scene. I also actually love the scene where he takes her to go see, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, the, the, the old, yeah. you know, wise man, you know, who's really right. cruel that teaches her how to fight. I always know this right. guy's name. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's really it, driving me crazy. I, I keep wanting to say Pai Mei, but that's not it. Oh, no, Pai Mei. Pai Mei. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Pai Mei. Pai Mei. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but but I love his short moment where he walks down the stairs where Pai Mei clearly beat him up and he just drives away. It's like this very short kind of throwaway scene just to get Beatrix there. But I, he's the part I love about it. <laughs> Just that like one little moment. But anyways, uh, yeah. you know, that that's all tangential. The point is, uh, David Carradine's in this. And for the longest time, I, I've known about Boxcar Bertha for as long as I've known about Scorsese, but I never knew David Carradine was in it until probably this decade at some point when I was looking into it. And I just thought that that was really cool. But um, yeah, so, uh, you know, after, after Boxcar Bertha, the next year in 1973, he does... What I would say is probably his breakout film. Uh, it's still kind of a classic considered by many, which is Mean Streets. It's starring Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, uh, Richard Romanus. Uh, I hope I say this name right, David uh, Provel. I don't know how to say his name, but if you look him up, P-R-O-V-A-L, yeah. uh, you would recognize him. And Victor Argo oh, yeah. again. And uh, David Carradine actually plays a drunk in it, which I didn't know until I was looking into this movie again. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. Mean Streets in a very long time, but I do remember liking it quite a bit. Um, and, uh, of course, AB, Amy Robinson plays the love interest. And uh, the synopsis is, a small-time hood must choose between love, friendship, and the chance to rise within the mob. And that's a really general uh, kind of statement but at the same time, you know, I think if you tried to do a synopsis of something like Goodfellas, it'd be just as broad because it's all about these characters, right? It's all about mm-hmm. it's all about the struggle or the choice between these things. That is where the movie resides. And if you're it, listeners, if you're a fan of something like Goodfellas, Casino, that type of thing that uh, Joe pointed out earlier, that kind of um, just that thing, that Scorsese thing that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where it starts, uh, really. I mean, at least, on, at least on like a well-known level. Mean Streets, it is not like Goodfellas in those. It, it moves slower, but you have that talk. Every character has that cadence, right? All the dialogue's the same. The sloppy fights, like the whole thing, it's it's, it's really good. Cost five hundred thousand uh, dollars. Had a box office of three million. So. You know, he's already starting off with not flops, right? Uh, right. At that time, you know, 500000 and then having a $3 million, uh box office was actually a, a big deal, especially for an early filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Mean Streets was Scorsese's breakout film. Uh, you know, uber-famous critic of the time, Pauline Kael, was an enthusiastic supporter of the film, calling it a true original and a triumph of personal filmmaking and dizzyingly sensual as she would put it um yes. to get even more trivial uh, it has a 95 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes <laughs> uh and 84 percent audience score and that's the reason i bring it up which is actually pretty good because a lot of times when there's a critic score that high the audience score is like way lower or vice versa mm-hmm. um and they're both actually pretty good i mean that's an a and a solid b for this movie yeah. from both parties um, in 2015, it was ranked number 93 in BBC's Top 100 Greatest American Films, 
Roger Ebert included it in one of his greatest films anthologies. Um, you know, it's still revered as uh, as a great film of the 70s and a precursor to those earlier works in Goodfellas and Casino and things. And, um, you know, I just love uh, that lingo. You know, I love, uh, you know, the way um, that Scorsese kind of does this inside baseball thing, you know, mm-hmm. in the mob. But what I love about this movie is it's way more subtle with it. It's not like it's again. It's about this guy that's kind of on the fringe of mobs of the mob culture or whatever, deciding how far he wants to get in. And again, back to that choice of you know, does he choose love, friendship, or the mob? Um, there's a lot I could say about this, uh, but again, for the sake of time, because I know we're going to be talking a lot about some of these, I'm going to move forward. If you haven't seen Mean Streets, I strongly recommend it myself. Um, but yeah, 1973 classic, definitely go check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 1974, he makes a documentary, which was for a long time kind of considered one of his lost films, I believe. It was called uh, Italian American. Her mother had nine children. Nine children? Yeah. And how did that affect the cooking? Well, some kids didn't like certain things, and she used to satisfy them in different ways. And then... She became a better cook because of that? No, no. Well, my my mother-in-law was a good cook, but the thing is that she... uh, She couldn't cook with the way she wanted. See, beginning with her husband, my father-in-law, he used to cook cook for himself, so he's giving a better example right there. Okay? You notice the, hand, the towel doesn't leave my hands because I keep wiping all the time. <laughs> but as far as cooking, it was a big job to cook for seven people. Eight, nine were my father. Yeah. My father used to work at, at nights a lot. And uh, she had to satisfy him in the daytime and uh, he used to go to sleep and she used to cook for him and then cook for the children. It was a... I mean, separate shifts. And then I go here, this is what my mother-in-law taught me. Take a spoon, few spoonfuls of tomato, and throw them in here because your meatballs remain very soft. Not like some of the meatballs you eat sometimes. You're invited somewhere. Yeah. You eat a meatball and it's as hard yeah. as can be. You yeah. throw it at the wall, and the wall will crack. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't say that because I have a lot of friends and I'll be getting a lot of telephone calls. <laughs> and Martin Scorsese interviews his mother and father about their life in New York City and the family history back to Sicily. And these are two people who have lived together for a long time and know each other very well. Um, <laughs> I, you know, mean, I mean, think about this. He literally just films his mom and dad and oh, makes a it. movie out of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, th- that is literally what it is. Um, this is yeah. one I haven't seen because for so long it wasn't available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you can just, I'm pretty sure you can just go watch it. Uh, I know that they had like bootlegs of it for a long time, but I could never get a hold of them. I wanted to see it. It's only 43 minutes long, so it's not technically a feature, but I mm-hmm. do mention it for any listeners who love Scorsese. And if they want to do what I did back in, I think 2004 and just start just going through his filmography. Uh, yeah. this is, these are the things I wish I had access to that we do now. And, uh, yeah, Italian American is really cool. I think for a while it was on the Criterion channel. 
uh, for oh, well. a bit. Uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty. Actually, now that I think of it, I think they put it out in like a Scorsese box set. I can't remember. I'm probably lying to everyone. But either way, <laughs> I know it's available, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Now, now we, uh, you know, as we move through in 1974, we get to Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And this is kind of uh, Scorsese's first real studio picture. Like, they have, he doesn't have the reins anymore, right? Like, um, you know, he's he is kind of at the, <clears throat> he is working at the expense of the studio, and they get final say. So, uh, you know, this movie, uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, it stars Ellen Bernstein and Chris Christopherson. Uh, Billy Green Bush, uh, Harvey Keitel, and and many others make appearances, but those are kind of the big ones. And yeah. uh, the synopsis Diane Ladd also is in yep, it. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, after her husband dies, Alice and her son, Tommy, leave their small New Mexico town for California, where Alice hopes to make a new life for herself as a singer. Money problems force them to settle in Arizona instead where Alice takes a job as a waitress in a small diner. It had a budget of $1.8 million, but it made $21 million. So again, we're seeing Scorsese is already kind of like paying his dues with studios, right? And he's proving mm-hmm. that he can make them money. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I just have to say this. Um, Bernstein is the reason to watch this. Mm-hmm. Bernstein is so good. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, she's always great, I think. But in this, it's no exception. Mm-hmm. And this is one year after her performance in The Exorcist, right? So mm-hmm. in The Exorcist, she's like, you know, that's, of course, a huge, huge film. And, uh, you know, she does this. And what I love about it is even if you if you uh, watch the trailer, which I'll probably toss in here, you know, she like it's it also deals with, you know, women in the 70s and feminism and and mm-hmm. uh, this this guy trying to hire her for a job and he goes spin around for me and she's like why my face is right here <laughs> well, just right. talk to my face you know and yeah. uh, things like that I, I just I really love that but you know I although I don't think this is a great film personally mm-hmm. uh, you know in uh, it, in large part because the end was changed by the studio to be more accessible to audiences which you know basically means they made it you know less of a bummer because if I remember correctly uh Scorsese wanted Bernstein, like her character Alice, to leave uh, Chris Christopherson's character David so that she could follow her dreams. Again, if if I remember correctly, again, I watched this back in like 2004 or something. But yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, like uh, they wanted Alice to leave David so that she could follow her dreams and, you know, kind of live on, like make her own way, right? And the studio was like, no, that's a bummer. Like, they have to end up together. And what it ended up doing is making it where, you know, Alice basically gives up everything so that, you know, she can be supported by a man. (laughs) Like, I felt like it was literally the opposite of what the film was trying to do. Yeah. Kind Um, of contradictory to the message of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. It was kind of a bummer. But um, I I will say this, though. You know, um, this is a win in the box office. And if you're if you're going down Scorsese's filmography, I think this is definitely something at least to just check out. It's not something you need to go out of your way to see, in my opinion. Um, But, you know, it's definitely I think it's a I think it's really good to see Scorsese in this in this light and to see yeah. how he works in studios. And he did he's done tons of studio pictures lately. Like over the last yeah. you know, since the new millennium basically, especially, he's been doing a lot of stuff like that, I guess. Yeah. Um and he's really fucking good at it. Um yeah. but this is kind of like the first sign of that. And he's still does again, it's it's the best I think it can be. Like it's okay. just yeah. really good. 
Yeah, a kind of a a fun piece of trivia that I didn't even know about. The um, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with. Let me say this. Um, this was made into a sitcom uh, later on, um, and uh, this is the the famous the, the sitcom Alice um, that takes place in a diner. Um, it, yeah, it's based on this movie. You know, um, you know, Flo is is um, played by Diane Ladd in this uh, in the film. Um, but you know, Flo is the character who who says the famous line "Kiss my grits." That was her catchphrase on Alice. Um, I was very familiar with that show, and the, the guy who plays Mel, the the manager of the diner, um, is also in the, in the TV show. So um, that's it's funny as someone who kind of grew up with that show, kind of the earlier part of my life. I I didn't realize it was based on a, a Martin Scorsese movie. That's that's a kind of a fun little piece of trivia. It's hilarious that I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> all this yeah. research I've been doing for this episode, <laughs> and I missed that entirely. That's just not at all where mm-hmm. I was going in terms uh-huh. of my research. I was thinking in a different way. That is awesome. I love that you know that. Um, <laughs> but I also I know what Alice is, but I never watched it either. So I probably I might have been able to put that together. But no, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so after Alice doesn't live here anymore, uh, oh my God, easy for me to say, Alice doesn't live here anymore in 1974, uh, we move on to what is probably, at least critically, quite possible, at least a top three for Scorsese, but a lot of people would put it up at number one, that's Taxi Driver. 272. Second call, 414 Hamilton, 417. De Niro. In Bang the Drum Slowly, the critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, people do anything in front of a taxi driver. I mean, anything. Yeah. People too cheap to, to rent a hotel room. Don't drive a hurry up, will you? People want to embarrass you. It's like you're not even there. It's like, you know, like a taxi driver doesn't even exist. This city here is like an open sewer, you know? It's full of filth and scum. I think I know what you mean, Travis. But it's not going to be easy. How do you guys get to be a Secret Service man? What? I was just curious, because I thought maybe I'd make a good one. Hey, what kind of guns do you guys carry? Like 38s, 45s, 357 Magnums, something bigger, maybe. Hi. I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And uh, this was on our poll on uh, Twitter that we did where we had Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and The King of Comedy. The King of Comedy actually won. So we're going to do a more at-length kind of discussion about that movie. Um, I made Joe watch it. I can't wait. I feel like we're going to fight about it. Um, So this is exciting. But anyways, uh, we'll get there. So uh, Taxi Driver, uh, I I don't want to talk too much about it uh, because it would make the poll useless. Um, but we will talk about it for a second. It stars Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Harvey Keitel, Peter Boyle, Leonard Harris, and Albert Brooks. Can you think of a better cast 
That's so good. That'd be difficult. Yeah. That is so good. And so, um, you know, it was written by Paul uh, Schrader, uh, famous writer, of course, made a ton of great films, even directed really good ones. Yeah. If you feel like being like bummed out, like just severely watch the movie Hardcore. That's a really, really bummer. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. Absolutely. But um, uh, he did so many. Rolling Thunder. He did uh, Mishima, Life in Four Chapters. T- tons of great work. And he worked with Scorsese over and over again. Um, he did Taxi Driver. He also did uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. He did the adaptation for that. He also did Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, he did several yeah. movies um, with Scorsese, but apparently uh, Brian De Palma introduced the two, Schrader and Scorsese, and uh, Bernard Herman composed the iconic score. I mean, name a score that's more beautifully haunting, Joe. Mm-hmm. I'll wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so good. For me. <laughs> um, so basically, if you haven't seen Taxi Driver, I hope we spoil it for you because you should have seen it already, but basically the synopsis is, A mentally unstable Vietnam War veteran, Travis Bickle, works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze feed his urge for violent action, attempting to save a pre-adolescent prostitute in the process. It had a budget of $1.9 million. It made the box office of $28.5 million. I mean, is he showing his money-making skills right here? This is crazy money for this time. (laughs) We don't get many movies. We don't get movies hardly ever that are made for like 1.9 million these days. And if they don't make more, if they don't make a ton of money, they're probably, I mean, think, think of it this way. Paranormal Activity 1, what was that like? It was like such a little amount, $70,000 or something. It was like yeah, so yeah, short. Yeah, yeah. And it made it million, millions yeah. of dollars, yeah. like tens of millions of dollars, that movie. And like, if you're not doing that, you're not getting, it's not a shoe in, right? At this time, this is big money, dude. Like mm-hmm. big money. Of course, this is after Jaws and we've seen big money with stuff like The Exorcist, but this mm-hmm. is big money, 1.9 to 28.5. That's huge. So anyways... Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say uh, one interesting thing, if I can find it really quickly. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I want to say this just because I was talking about Schrader. I don't want to I had I did a bunch of research that I forgot I didn't want to talk about, but I did it in case we were going to do this movie. <laughs> so I'm only going to do this because we'll come back to this at some point. So Schrader was inspired when writing this by the diaries of Arthur Bremer. Do you know who Arthur Bremer is by chance? No, no, I don't. He is the guy who shot presidential candidate George Wallace in 1972. So using the inner monologue of an attempted murderer is yeah. pretty, is a pretty good place to gather insight on someone like Travis Bickle, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's freaking awesome. dude. Uh, basically listen, like reading the rants of, of uh, an attempted murderer, but I'm going to pass this on to you real quick, Joe. How do you yeah. feel about taxi driver, man? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Taxi Driver is one of those kind of quintessential movies for cinephiles, right? Like, you go to a you if you enroll in a film class, you're going to watch Taxi Driver. You're going to talk about Taxi Driver, right? It it's probably I don't know. Is it the film Scorsese is most known for? Um, that's maybe is arguable, but you he's know, probably most known for something like Goodfellas. But in terms of like yeah. the, the cinephile community. I would say right. Taxi Driver is – I agree with – I was just clarifying. Yeah. I think that's where you were going. Right. But this is a movie real quick just to clarify a point too. If you go to film yeah. school, 
I feel like this is a movie you are expected to have already seen. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I I had not when I was in my class, um, but it was um, you know I, I assembled a a list of movies that to watch you know when when I was in college, and you know I I took a film class and um, th- this of course was it, this was the first one that came to mind was you know you've never seen Taxi Driver you got to see it. Uh, you know, it, it made Jodie Foster. Um, it, it really, uh, I mean, to me, it really kind of made Scorsese, you know, in terms of like, now he's, now he's a giant right after this film. Um, so, you know, it's, it, and of course De Niro was already on the way up. This was what, like the, I think the, the third movie he made with, with, uh, Scorsese at this point, second or third. And so it's making him, um, it's it's absolutely you know one of the top movies of the 70s um so it's you know it's a great great movie uh it's quotable it still is you know you talking to me is still one of the all-time lines you know so it's got on all these different levels kind of these pop culture levels on on just you know plain you know hardcore cinephile level it's it's a top choice you know it, it's close to the top on all of those top you know, hundred movies of all time. It's always involved in, you know, those, those discussions. Um, just a great, great movie. Um, it, it's got, it's, and it's funny, it's got a lot of similarities to the, you know, to King of Comedy that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, which um, I had never seen King of Comedy before, you know, whatever it was two or three days ago when, when I actually watched it. And I didn't know what, you know, what to expect at all. Cause I, I had almost no knowledge of it whatsoever. Um, and, and it was funny with all, you know, the, the big knock on, on Joker was the last year was that it was kind of this mashup of those two movies. And it absolutely is. So, um, it, it's going to kind of be fun to talk about that. Uh, you know, once we get going on, on, uh, King of comedy, but, but yeah, taxi drivers, absolutely. If you love movies, if you're somebody who, will ever want to go to a film class, you better see this, you know, and, and you'll, you'll find an appreciation for it. Absolutely. Even if, you know, if you're a more modern, you know, movie goer, I think you'll find something to appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, think about this too. So uh, this, I think was Albert Brooks first kind of like feature film role, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, Yeah. you know, Peter Boyle was already established at this point, but this, you know, this took him in a nice dark turn. Jodie Foster's like 12 years old or something. She's super young. Sybil Shepard had been in a few things, but this is like kind of breaking her out too. Robert De Niro was in The Godfather Part 2, which of course really, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that really set him in stone as a a guy, right? Like one of the guys. But I think this puts him... You know, that's an ensemble performance, right? You have Al Pacino, yes. you have all these guys in, in uh, two, but this, now having the stardom of The Godfather Part Two, you go into a role that is literally all about you. You're carrying this film. I totally agree with you. Robert De Niro is uh, is is kind of, between this and The Godfather Part Two. he's made. Uh, <laughs> to, no pun intended to all the gangster stuff, but uh, <laughs> but he's a made man, right? Um, yes. And again, I mean, this really pushes Scorsese into uh, the studio's favor, um, not so much just for this movie, but just kind of proving that he can make money doing both a studio picture and kind of a, 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 a personal project, basically, 
that made even more money and cost less, or well, about the same generally, about a hundred thousand difference. Um, but anyway, so so he does that. So then again, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Studio project, taxi driver, kind of a personal project. He goes back to a studio project in 1977, which was a huge year for film. Huge year, 97 or 77. And he does the musical New York, New York. Um, and the starring, uh, most notably, Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. So this is the third, as you were mentioning. Uh, this yeah. is the third when he did Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, and New York, New York with Robert De Niro up to this point. And um, the, the synopsis for this movie which admittedly I haven't seen. This is one of the very few Scorsese movies I haven't seen, and I mm-hmm. just couldn't fit this in um, before we had this talk. Um, and by the way, we're recording this Monday before this comes out, so I really did push this to the end to try to get it in, and I couldn't. Um, but, you know, the synopsis is an egotistical saxophone player and a young singer meet on Victory Over Japan Day, which I didn't even know was a thing, uh, and embark upon a strained and rocky romance even as their careers begin a long uphill climb. The budget was $14 million. The box office was 16.4, so he's made mm. some money, Yeah, but this is very mild, okay? Yeah. Very, yeah. very mild. Yeah. Yeah, you um, hope, um, you hope uh, advertising is involved in in uh, that budget, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, so, you know, uh, people in 1977, we got to think about this. This is a couple years after Vietnam kind of officially was, like, starting to be put to rest, basically. Uh, yeah. they weren't interested in musical romances like this, you know, people, right. people, despite the fact that this film was darker and a bleaker version of what came decades prior, the average moviegoer at the time just wasn't into this old fashioned kind of thing. People wanted Mel Brooks's, you know, high anxiety, close encounters of the third kind, Star Wars, smoking the bandit, Saturday night fever. I mean, all of these movies made top box office at the time then why would they want another liza minnelli musical now i like her musicals dude i love cabaret like i'm all about watching some like shit like that i'm super into it um i actually i watched the trailer again today and i'll probably play the audio here too but uh man it's like it looks awesome to me (laughs) it looks awesome to me i i don't know i but it is not a beloved film, okay? <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, I think, critics gave it just barely a fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, I don't put much stock in that, but I do yeah. like it for the consensus. But I don't know. I'm not into kind of how they do it. But anyways, you know, I think it's just barely, barely makes it. But it is yeah. definitely a stinker as far as the audience goes. <laughs> um, so he does New York, New York, still makes his money back. So you know, as far when we're talking about the the capitalist in like institution that is the studio system, he's made his money back. He's not in any kind of trouble with them. You know, he's right. proven he can do it, and he made his money back on what should have been a flop. And I can only imagine that this movie is the best version that this could ever be. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to see it. If you've seen it, definitely give us your opinions. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've never seen this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would, I would love to hear about that. But you know, so he finishes this musical. In 1978, he goes on to do a documentary called The Last Waltz, and this is uh, about the uh, the band, the band, uh, best known for being the backup band for Bob Dylan, uh, and then they started the band, 
and he does a documentary. <laughs> um, and Martin Scorsese documentary intertwines footage from the band's incredible farewell tour uh, with probing easy for me to say with probing backstage interviews and uh, featured performances by Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, and other rock legends. Uh, you know, people love this doc, dude. If you go to Letterboxd right now and you look at kind of the consensus of love for this movie, yeah. uh, it's, I mean, it's ever, it's like four to fives, you know, <laughs> like wow. tons yeah. of, I mean, people really love this. This is another one, unfortunately, that I haven't gotten around to. He, a few of his doc, early documentaries are the ones I haven't seen. Um, and New York, New York. When I was looking into his filmography, I was very proud to see that I've, I think I only have like five movies or something that I need to see. Wow. And I will yeah. have completed it because he's great. So, again, a little ashamed I haven't seen this. I have listened to the like vinyl, like the record of the soundtrack of this. <laughs> so yeah. I know the music and I've seen parts of it, but I've never seen the whole movie. Uh, another one that if you guys love, uh, you know, if you like it or dislike it, definitely let us know. Now here's another one. I just want to bring up real quick. Uh, in 1978, he made another documentary and it's called American boy, a profile of Steven Prince. First of all, tell me the story about the films. Two minutes left. Two minutes left to say, no, I said it'll never work for two minutes. No, no, no. George, you think it'll work for two minutes? Huh? You think we'll get the story in two minutes? No, no. I doubt it. No, no. I doubt it very much. No, no. I doubt it. No way. No way. How could you tell a Stephen Prince story in two minutes? Two minutes, I don't know. Sun, don't wait to the break of day. Cause you know how time breaks. You, Scorsese. What? 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 Well, I think now that both of you are here, we can tell some stories. What kind of woman? She was just a real Russian Jew. She used to teach advanced ball busting 302 and. Uh, PhD ball busting. PhD. Yeah. Oh. She was a ball buster. Yes. My mother, without a doubt, cooks the most land food in the world. No taste at all. No taste. This man is saying that about his mother. Right. Sun don't wait to the Heroin always interested me. And uh, I got. Uh, uh, yeah. Started uh, using heroin every once in a while. Big says, hey, you remember Joey? He said, yeah, sure, yeah, I know Joey. So we are sitting on him. <laughs> said, oh, oh, yeah. And uh, this was uh, basically Martin Scorsese spends an evening uh, with a larger-than-life personality, which is Stephen Prince, a former drug addict, road manager for Neil Diamond, and actor who memorably played Easy Andy, the gun salesman and taxi driver, as he oh. recounts stories from his colorful life, one of which later inspired a key scene in Pulp Fiction. Now, based on the information I just gave you, Joe, yeah. can you guess what that scene is? I'm going to guess this is going to be the heroin overdose scene. It is indeed the heroin overdose scene. <laughs> and apparently this happened. Like Stephen Prince had to stab a f young lady that he overdosed on heroin with wow. adrenaline into her heart. And apparently yeah. Tarantino, you know, probably saw this documentary, but he heard this story and just thought it was amazing. Um, 
This is another one that's considered one of Scorsese's lost films. The documentary was never released, actually, though it wow. lived on in like a bootleg kind of uh, way. I have to see this. I You have to YouTube this, Joe. I know you haven't seen it. I think it's hard for most yeah. people to see. So huh. if you, again, if you're looking to do a filmography of huh. Scorsese, don't overlook this one. I think this one looks really fascinating. But yeah, you, you have to get on YouTube and type this movie in and just watch <laughs> a clip, dude, or like a trailer. Uh-huh. I'm going to play it. I'm definitely playing some of yeah. it or something in here. Um, uh-huh. But it, I love dialogue, okay? Now, this is real uh-huh. people talking, but it's literally right. like three dudes in a room, Scorsese, one of them, Stephen Prince, one of them, yeah. and they're just shooting the shit. And it is fascinating. It's, a, it's pretty short, too. It's not a super long thing. Um, yeah. But I really love it. So that wraps up uh, Scorsese's time in the 70s. And that takes us into the 80s. And in 1980, he releases another one of his possibly most famous movies, Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get the combination of uh, you know Joe Pesci and mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. Um, a huge cast that for some reason I have failed to put in my notes. I'm opening up IMDb <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, Robert yeah. De Niro, uh, Kathy Moriarty, Joe uh-huh. Pesci, Frank Vincent. I mean, all the Goodfellas guys, <laughs> like you're seeing yeah. a lot of like Goodfellas people too. I don't even uh-huh. need to say their names cause most people wouldn't probably know them by name, right. but you would know their face. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, everyone has a name like Lenore, Mario, Patsy, Guido, Toppy, like every, like we're getting right. into that place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Martin Scorsese's dad's in it, which is awesome. Like a little wow, weird, yeah. like trivia thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I know you've seen this, Joe. Uh, uh-huh. I just want, before I start yakking on about it, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I will say this at a budget of 18 million, it only made yeah. 23.4 million, which uh-huh. for as popular as it is, you mm-hmm. might think it was some blowout success. This is another kind of, uh, you know, Citizen Kane or in any other movie you could name, um, right where it just didn't do as well as you'd think. And then years later, it's on every top 100 or top 20 list or, you know what I mean? Uh, yes. How do you feel about Raging Bull? Yeah, I, I like Raging Bull. Um, again, this is another one of those ones that was, that I had not seen, you know, as, as I was coming into my twenties, I had not seen it and felt like I needed to. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's a sort of a throwback in a lot of ways. It's um, it was filmed in black and white. Um, it, but it, it's got that same kind of hard scrabble kind of feel to it, um, that a lot of his other films that we've talked about have, um, it, you know, it, and it's, it's almost, it, it's in a lot of ways, it kind of compares to Goodfellas, um, in terms of the, the kind of the tone of it. Um, the, the way the characters interact, there's a lot of, there's a lot of yelling at each other, right? Like, like husbands and wives are yelling. Kathy Moriarty, I, I recall her yelling a lot and, and De Niro's, you know, and, and Pesci, they're, they're always yelling. Um, so, so it's got, you know, a lot of that. And, and of course, you know, Jake LaMotta is a real person. So, you know, this is, this is a, a true story. Um, I don't know how faithful it is to the actual events, but, um, it, it, again, it's another one you got to watch if you're gonna if you're gonna watch it. De Niro, it's one of those you know, geez, he's probably got half a dozen to a dozen that you could call an essential. This is absolutely one of them. You know, this is absolutely. this is top five probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Raging Bull. So I, I do want to point some out because this is one of the other ones on our poll. 
Uh-huh. Excuse me. I had to burp. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I wanted to. Anyway, so <laughs> some of us just use the mute button. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what that's that's just gonna be my thing now. I'll let you all know when I burp for sure. Um anyway, so Raging Bull uh ends uh this doesn't ruin anything, but with Jake LaMotta in kind of like a back like little like green room, basically, like a, a little makeup room or whatever. And uh-huh. he stands up and and he's you know, he makes this like <laughs> And he's like, he's like, you know, like punching the air. And, and right. at this point, he's like fat, like dinner put on like 60 pounds or whatever to be him. And he's like fat and he's out of shape. And and now he's just, you know, some, you know, dude, right. Some nightclub right. owner or whatever. And he and he's pumping himself up and he's like, I'm going to be a star. You know, you're a star. And he's like convincing himself that he, mm-hmm. you know, that he still has it, that he is great. And if um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Boogie Nights. And yes. at the end of that movie, they pay homage to this movie where uh, Dirk Diggler uh, yes. is in front of the mirror saying, like, you're a star. You're uh-huh. a bright, shining star. Except for in that movie, he pulls his dick out. But, right, um, yeah. Uh, you know, pretty uh, much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing, yeah. <laughs> Punching the air, dick out. It's it's all in the same ballpark. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so, uh, again, this was a part of our poll. We're not going to talk about it this time because I guarantee we will talk about Raging Bull in at length at some point, but if you don't know what it is, you get, you just got to go watch a trailer. So, I mean, this, I think this is just one of the all time greats. Again, I would put this up against any movie in the eighties. Um, yep. I'm not saying that it's the best movie, but I'm saying that I would probably put it in the top 10 for myself. That's how much I love it. And, um, you know, if you agree, disagree, let us know, but we're going to take a break real quick because when we come back, the movie that did win the poll, the King of comedy, That's what we're going to talk about next. What I'm thinking is I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance. You know what I mean? You don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pupkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert Pupkin, P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, in a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. All right. Uh, The king of comedy, 1982. This is the fifth movie uh, collaboration with Robert De Niro and Scorsese. It also stars Jerry Lewis and Sandra Bernhard. Mm-hmm. Um, the synopsis, aspiring comic Rupert Pupkin attempts to achieve success in show business by stalking his idol, a late night talk show host who craves his own privacy. Uh, the talk show host is, of course, played by Jerry Lewis, and mm-hmm. um, both Robert De Niro and Sandra Bernhardt are like creepily obsessed yeah. uh, with Jerry. And at a budget of 19 million, mm-hmm. do you know? 
Give me a ballpark. Just throw a number out on how much you think this movie made. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I, I'm going to say like 25 million. I don't know. 2.5 wow. million. Woo. That is, I have an all flop. caps with an exclamation point. Flop. Okay. Yeah, that's a flop right <laughs> so there. So I'm going to give you some 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 little trivia here, okay? And then I want us to kind of get into it. So um, uh, it is a flop. I mean, at the box office. Now, it was generally praised by critics, um, uh-huh. but it is a flop by all accounts. Uh, Scorsese was supposedly going to retire from feature films uh, and do documentaries after this, um, or actually right before this, uh, after he did Raging Bull, which I actually wow. didn't know. Um, uh, and, uh, because he found documentaries more fulfilling and, and so he wasn't even on this to start, which I didn't know, uh, Michael Cimino, who did, uh, like Heaven's Gate, uh, he was first proposed as the director, but eventually withdrew from the project because he wanted to make Heaven's Gate. Um, you know, Bob Fosse briefly was considered, which is crazy, uh, to direct this film and suggested Andy Kaufman as Rupert Pupkin, which would be crazy but he also I would have sug- watched that movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's super weird um yeah. and sandra bernhard was uh pitched as masha who ended up getting it and then sammy davis jr was going to be jared uh jerry langford uh which which jerry langford was not the original name jerry lewis came up with that name uh but uh it was robert something i can't remember what where, the name where would he come up with a name like that <laughs> oh, I know, right? It's super, yeah, but I love that. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So, uh, but ultimately, Fosse passed because he wanted to make the film Star 80. So, Scorsese wanted to make The Last Temptation of Christ. He wanted that to be like his last passion project um, oh. before he went into a life of documentaries. Um, and in Scorsese on Scorsese, which is an awesome book, if you haven't read it, go check it out. I have it on the shelf back here. Joe, if you haven't read it, I'll let you borrow it whenever the pandemic calms down. Uh, (laughs) um, the director had, uh, high praise for Jerry Lewis. Like people really wanted him to get Jerry Lewis stating that, uh, you know, during the first conversation before shooting Lewis, uh, was extremely professional and assured Scorsese, uh, before shooting, that there would be no ego clashes or difficulties. And Scorsese said that he felt Lewis's performance in the film was vastly underrated and deserved more acclaim, which I will say I firmly agree with, but we'll get to that yeah. later. Uh, and also, based on true events, kind of. Kind, kind of. of so. Okay? Yeah. Um, the film was inspired by uh, writer Paul Zimmerman uh, when he read about a fan who was obsessed with Johnny Carson. Uh, so that kind of uh, led to uh, him kind of creating this film. But Johnny Carson was actually who Scorsese, that was his first choice to be Jerry Langford, actually. Uh, but Carson yeah. turned it down. Then he was interested in Frank Sinatra, Orson Welles, and Dick Cavett, which is hilarious, uh, yeah. all of which were considered and didn't work out. So Scorsese, you know, at this point... Like, he hated making this movie, okay? <laughs> um, it's pretty well known that Scorsese hated making this. Excuse me, burped again. And <laughs> I cracked myself up, everyone. Okay, uh, but he hated making this movie, and he had to move uh, move up the production start date to avoid a director strike, because that was about to happen. Uh, and then, you know, shooting in the streets of New York, uh, you know, I mean, we can imagine the headache that that would be, of course. Um, but, you know, the, the last bit of trivia that I'll go to, and I might say a couple more things, then we can get into it like proper. Uh, Jerry Lewis actually directed a scene uh, when the lady at the phone booth, at the payphone, uh, 
uh, stops Jerry in the street and asks him for an autograph. And then, you know, he signs it. And then she's like, can you say something on the phone? And he's like, I have an appointment. And she right. calls him like a cocksucker or something. I can't. Yeah, she yeah. says something really terrible to him, which is really yeah. funny. Uh, you know, uh, that was something that was not in the script. And Scorsese and Jer- Jerry told him a story of th- that happening to him. And Scorsese uh, basically had it in the script, but he let Jerry do it because he trusted his comedic timing and how he wanted to do it. He would know better than Scorsese. So he kind of let him take the reins. I don't know if he'd call it technically directing it, but he did just let him do it. Like, here, you set it up, you tell them how to speak, you tell them what you want, and we'll do it. And that's the scene that's in the movie. Um, So this movie, uh, you know what? I'm going to stop there because... Joe, because now I'm getting into personal <laughs> thoughts, and I want your thoughts first. Yeah, you yeah. can't see us, listeners. Joe's laughing. I have a smile the size of the Joker's, okay? I'm, like, so excited <laughs> because I have this inner feeling that Joe and I are about to fight, okay? So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I... I just from talking, just from... We, we only very, very briefly have discussed this movie... Um, which is to say Austin said it was amazing or something. I love this movie or something. That's like the extent of what he said. It was before I watched it and I watched it. And um, as Scorsese movies go, I I don't think it is, you know, it's not his top five, top 10. I didn't dislike it. I, I enjoyed it on a lot of levels. There are a lot of movies since that have come out that, are very much like this. I, it was funny cause I actually about halfway through this, I started thinking about the fan, which De Niro did with, with Wesley Snipes, what 20 years after this, where he plays a, an obsessive sports fan who does much the same thing that, um, that Rupert Pupkin does in this film. So, you know, in a lot of ways, th- those two films are, are cousins of each other. Um, he, he was a little more, he was a little more, um, psychotic maybe in the fan than he is in this film, but um, at least, at least outwardly, maybe a little more sociopathic. I, I don't know. Uh, it might be getting into, you know, psychological terms that I'm not really qualified to, to diagnose, but um, it's funny because the, now the first thing I want to point out, um, Shelly Hack, who plays the assistant uh, that, you know, that continually has to run him off, right? She keep, he keeps showing up at, uh, at Jerry Langford's office trying to get a meeting with him because of this chance encounter that they had, you know, that, you know, that he, uh, he kind of leveraged himself into the car with him and uh, to, to get rid of him. He's like, Oh yeah, just, just call my office and we'll talk about getting you on the show, you know? Uh, so, and he ends up, you know, harassing the, the poor receptionist up front. And then Shelly hack, who I guess is one of the producers or his, one of his assistants, she would go on later on to play um, in one of the movies we've talked about in the past several weeks. Uh, she was in the lead in the stepfather, the, the female lead in the stepfather. So wow. that was, that was kind of an, the first thing I noticed about the movie as I'm, as I'm watching it, the first, you know, interesting thing to me that stood out, I was like, Oh wow. Look, it's, you know, it's like, what's her name from the stepfather? Um, her name's Shelly Hack. Um, she did this and that movie. And then I, and I actually looked her up. Um, afterwards she did a couple of, she did, um, um, she did Charlie's angels for a season. She was one of the, one of the angels. And, um, and then she just went on and did a handful of, of smaller things 
in movies and TV, and then she retired. So it's kind of interesting that you know she she had such a kind of prominent role in this film. So yeah. Now having said that, um, you know, kind of going on to kind of my overall thoughts, um, I, you know, I I didn't dislike it at all. I I enjoyed it. Um, I I really enjoyed De Niro. Um, it was funny how how much this movie does feel like some of his other films, feel, how much it feels like taxi driver in a way and how much, it, you know, it feels like mean streets maybe in, in a way um, it's kind of got that same on the street kind of fast moving New York feel. Although, you know, these, and these people are again, the, the underbelly in, in a sense of society um, in, a, in a much different way. And, you know, De Niro's character, is you know very different than obviously than he was in either of those films, but it still has that same feeling. And man, his mustache in this movie was something else. <laughs> <laughs> it it they it's man, a character of its own. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, but uh, you know, I very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed seeing him with Jerry Lewis, um, especially the two of them interacting where. Really, it's only a couple of scenes they have together throughout the film. It's it's mostly this chase where, you know, you you see Jerry Langford running around doing his thing. And then you see Rupert Pupkin running around, not maybe not quite stalking him in some senses um, and very much stalking him in other senses of the word. But um, Sandra Bernhardt's character uh, cracked me up also. Um, She's so good in it, though, isn't she? Yeah, but she's crazy. Yeah. And she just pops up out of nowhere and it, you know, she's like, he just gets in the car and there she is. And she's like kicking the crap out of him. Right. Like, like within five seconds. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and then her ending scene um, with him is just tremendous and it's just hysterical. Um, you know, but, but it, you know, in, in this, at the same time, it kind of drags, um, and I I don't know if this movie suffers because of what I was saying a few minutes ago that there have been so many movies made about obsessive fans. There have been so you know there's so much of that that culture has gotten so much attention to you know the last several decades, kind of this, this hero worship of of celebrities that it doesn't feel as complex maybe as you know as as maybe it did back then. I don't know. Maybe it didn't even feel that way then. Um, but there, there is kind of a fun bit of kind of meta-ness to this movie as well, given, you know, given that Taxi Driver had the controversy it had with Jodie Foster and um, Mark David Chapman um, being an obsessive fan of hers, right? And he, you know, he killed John Lennon for her. So, you know, and that's, that's you know, Scorsese is right. It's smack in the middle of that. So it's kind of an interesting little bit of, of meta to explore. Um but the kind of the, the funniest thing about the movie to me is that as Rupert Pupkin wants to be this comedian, he wants to be the king of comedy, but he doesn't even have an act. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they you know they they keep they're like, hey, send us a tape, and his tape is literally like him being a guest host for Jerry Langford. It's like he's not trying to be a you know a stand up comedian. He wants jerry langford's job yeah essentially he wants to be he just wants to be friends with him 
and and that's kind of an interesting an interesting dynamic and it, it kind of kind of encapsulates i guess the whole celebrity culture right yeah yeah you know i i i'll stick to that real quick because i find this really interesting um the uh, one thing about this movie uh joe have you seen the movie one hour photo with robin williams Absolutely. I love that movie. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, in, in one hour photo, there are scenes of Robin Williams, like, uh, it's like he's daydreaming, but you don't know it until yes. like something happens and then it yeah. f- like kicks back into present time. And it was just in his mind. Like, uh, th- this is one of the things I think this movie does expertly because though, like, as soon as you said, it's not top five, but probably not even top 10. I, I my initial thing was like, bullshit. And then I thought about <laughs> it. and I was like, He's kind of made so many good ones. It's like not in the top 10. Like it's definitely right. not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I but, don't want to call it a lower tier movie. He just has too many. There, it, there's like a very yeah. clear, like he has the really good ones in the knot. And it's like, yeah, it's very rare to find those in the middle. And so I agree. I, I wasn't giving you shit there, but, but like, I like it a lot. Let me remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Cause I got on a tangent there for a That's second. Not <laughs> Anyways. So, so, uh, oh, oh yeah. So the one hour photo thing. So he's like in this movie, what I think gives it kind of like more merit for me is he does so well at making you uncomfortable. That's like the first point I have for myself is like, I feel incredibly uncomfortable watching this. And uh, Roger Ebert said, Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy is one of the most arid, painful, wounded movies I've ever seen. (laughs) And part of it, (laughs) I think, is because of of what I'm getting at here with One Hour Photo. Mm -hmm. There are times where Rupert Pupkin is, uh, you know, uh, daydreaming somewhere about just being friends with Jerry Langford. Jerry Langford's begging him to come on the show. Come on, just give me six weeks of your time. I need to go do this other thing. Like, I need a guest host, you know? And he's just like, Jerry, I don't know if I can fit it in my schedule. And then it cuts to him in his basement. His mom's yelling at him, you know? And he's just like, stop it, mom, I'm busy! You know, and he's just like (laughs) yelling at her. And uh, then it like cuts right back into this, like, uh, this uh, flash, this like fake fantasy, right? Uh, yeah. And and uh, but the thing is, you know the scene <laughs> where he takes this woman who is kind of a love interest. Like they clearly know each other, but she kind of thinks yeah. he's just like a loser. But then yeah. like and he's like high school together or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he knows her from this bar, and you know he's always just like, "I love you. Let's like hang out." And he's like, "I'm going to Jerry Langford's house. Come with me." So the whole time they're on the train going to Jerry Langford's house, I forgot, okay? Because I hadn't seen this since I watched his filmography back in 2004. So it was like, my, I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a fantasy. And it's fucking not, dude. Like, right, yeah. He just uh-huh. shows up at Jerry Langford's house. Yeah, and she's all dolled up, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're just chilling, you know? Uh-huh. And it hurts me. Like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, I forgot the details. So I'm like, what is Jerry about to do? Like, yeah, I don't know, man. And then it, like just how kind of mean he is to Rupert and then how Rupert responds. Like yeah. it's very Trumpian almost, right? Like, like yes. he's getting accused for being this like asshole for just like coming in uninvited, but Rupert is spinning it back to making it his fault for being an asshole. Yes. And um yeah, I, so I the un, the discomfort in watching it is like my first 
point. Yeah, and, and it yeah. reminds me of those things like one hour photo or those other, there are a lot of movies that do it and you're spot on. Yeah. Uh, uh, the King of comedy has been, uh, done to death afterwards. Uh, you know, one, yeah. one after this was done, I mean, family guys even, you know, had skits that are parodies of this multiple times. Oh. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it is like somehow strangely in pop culture, but like no one knows what this movie is in pop culture, you know? Um, yeah. And and as you mentioned earlier, you know, like it, it, it did kind of get a resurgence uh, when Joker came out because so many mm-hmm. people, I mean, as, as I was watching Joker, I'm like, this is the king of comedy in right. the DC universe. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. so easy. And then I started seeing people compare it to taxi driver, which I didn't pick up on mm-hmm. initially, but I was like, well, that makes sense. Like I get that. But yeah. Check this out. Listeners, uh, if you have seen Joker and like it and you haven't seen The King of Comedy, uh, think of it this way. Arthur Fleck, which is the Joker, uh, Arthur Fleck is antisocial, idolizes a late-night talk show host played by Mm -hmm. De Niro, who is Rupert Pupkin in The King of Comedy, right? He's like, he would be the Arthur Fleck of The King of Comedy. Um, Now, some people have speculated uh, that maybe... I mean, it's not an actual connection, but like people like to look at it also as like De Niro as Rupert Pupkin growing yeah. older and being a talk show host and Arthur Fleck meets him. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, it's an interesting kind of like uh, spiritual or what, what's the what's the term like? Um, I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say, but anyways, it's there's like, like a, a spiritual it's like a spiritual cousin almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, I called I used that earlier, but yeah, yeah, yeah it, I get yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so you have that that kind of a, a strange connection. And and De Niro's even come out and admitted that his role was a nod to the King of Comedy. Like that whole thing was yeah. clearly yeah. a part of it. But um, also, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Fleck is delusional and comes mm-hmm. to ex- goes to extreme places to get what he wants. Um, mm-hmm. But he also has those exact same things where he has these fantasies yeah. with like his love interest in the movie. And then at one point you think he's having another fantasy and it's real. So that's like a direct King of comedy. And then, uh, you know, they both end up doing awful things Mm -hmm. and benefiting from them. So Rupert kidnaps Jerry and eventually goes to jail. But what happens once he's released, he becomes a star, (laughs) right? Yeah. He's a huge Uh success, which is, that could just be a whole commentary as you were saying on, on just like Uh the pub, like, society's general acceptance of celebrities. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like he goes to jail, comes out being a huge star. The star he always wanted to be gets what he wants. And then what does, you know, Arthur Fleck do? Uh, he does something heinous and becomes a star to his audience, right? Yes. He gets uh-huh. what he wants. He ends up right. where he wants to be. Um, yeah. I see direct. You're the, you're the proud boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to go back to like Trumpian references, absolutely. Right. And so, um, yeah, I see direct references. So if if anybody loves the Joker and has not seen the King of Comedy, you might check it out. Whether you'd like it or not, that's up to you. Um, but definitely go check that out. So as far as the King of Comedy goes, um, I have to agree with you, Joe. I, I don't it's I wouldn't put it in my top five for Scorsese. I wouldn't put it in my top ten as I'm just thinking through because he's just made so many good ones. But I don't want that to uh, – what I will add to that, not that you're saying anything otherwise, but sure, sure. Uh, what I would add to that is please do not let that come off as it's not good. I would put this in kind of a, a category – I'm going to do this with another movie too, but I would put it in the category of something like 
uh, Bringing Out the Dead, which I am a huge fan of. Have you seen that, Joe? I saw it in theaters when it first came out. And let's see. Geez, I was... It was 98. 98, so yeah. I would have just been 20, um, 21. So I remember seeing it and going, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I have not gone back to revisit it. I, um, but yeah, 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 I, it's probably on par, I think. I think I think I saw it in 2004, and then I think I watched it again shortly after that. I think I've seen it two or three times, but it was all kind of in that time when I was watching Scorsese stuff within a couple of years. And um, so I haven't seen it again, but I really loved it. I think it's a really unique Scorsese movie and kind of, although it has comparisons to other movies, it's kind of unique. And I would go as far as to say, although I agree with what you're saying where there, you can find, you can see the auteur in this movie, but I think this is kind of a very unique Scorsese movie. It's they meant for this to be a comedy, Joe. Right. That's what I think is amazing. Because this movie works so much better for me as just one of those super uncomfortable, like Mm -hmm. awkward movies. Yes, I laugh at. Like there are moments I laugh at. Uh, You were you were talking about uh, when Sandra Bernhard and Jerry Lewis toward the end. You know that that shit's funny. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's it's that dark humor, right? Very much. It's all very dark. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I mean, and and Joker again is something that is, is very apt to compare it to in terms of the, the tone of it. Uh, um, I think Joker maybe pushes the humor a little more, but sure. That that's kind of the, that's kind of the tone, you know, it's, it's dark comedy mostly. Um, and I, and I think it, I think there's a lot of subtle stuff too. Like the, the, the stuff about him not having his own act, right? Like how, you know, he keeps calling himself the king of comedy and he's like, yeah, really, you're going to love it. I'm, I'm going to be great. And then they're they're like, well, what have you done? He's oh, well, I've I've never done comedy before. Yeah, it, you know, he just he just thinks that he's going to be it. You know, <laughs> and it's just like you're like, dude, this is not how it works. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and but there's there's a there's sort of a a, a comedy to that, you know. But again, it's it's more subtle, and you know, yeah, it's it's not a it's not an over. You're laughing out loud every, you know, every minute and a half, right? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. What What did you think of? Because at the end, um, and this doesn't again really ruin much. Not that I'm even worried about spoiling this. If you haven't yeah. seen this, you know, in 36 years, it's time mm-hmm. for you to go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's something you just need to experience. I could tell you everything about this movie, but man, it's just it has its own vibe. So here's the thing: yeah. um, at, at the end. They finally, they tease you with his jokes and him trying to set this stuff up, but they never let you hear it until yeah. they show you his entire bit at the end. Yeah. How do you feel about it? <laughs> I mean, it was, it, to, to me, it was very not funny, right? Like, it, I I was listening, I, I don't know, I can't remember, maybe I chuckled one time, but it was, uh, that was kind of part of it was that it was just, it was not funny, right? It was very it was very much just your average person saying, Oh, I can be a comedian. And then they do it and, and realize that they can't do it. Right. Like they're, they're not, they're just not funny. Um, and to, you know, but except he doesn't have that, he doesn't have that self-awareness to know that he's not funny. Right. To even real, like if, if he's bombing, you know, you mentioned earlier the way he was, he kind of gaslights 
Jerry a little bit where when he's at his house and he's like, get out of my house. He's like, I didn't invite you. He's like, well, you know, maybe if you'd answered the phone or maybe if you had, you know, seen me when I asked, I wouldn't be here right now. Right. Yeah. It's one of those kind of deals, right. Where it's like, he doesn't have the self-awareness to understand that he's not funny, but then like you said, the end result is he becomes a star, but, but at the same time, he's becoming a star because of his actions through the film. Right. It's not necessarily because of his, his talent, which, um, yeah. you know, which is, which is something else. Right. Yeah. That's, I, that's a whole different I kind of see it differently, to be honest, uh, though. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like, I don't necessarily think he's funny, but I think of, you know, if you watch talk shows, <clears throat> excuse me, if you watch talk shows from like the fifties, yeah. Um, an early 60s, these like really early talk shows and you have uh, comedians on there. They all mm-hmm. do bits like that. It's like the yeah. most like G rated like uh, I don't, I've never thought they were funny. Now, you have some some guys that kind of transcend that and they're just so good with their timing and they can really drop it. And then, you know, it births like the these one liners. And of course, you have like, right. um, you know, Dangerfield and all these other dudes just killing it. Right. But yeah. like like. Rupert Pupkin, I didn't think was that bad looking at it that way. Uh-huh. I kind of think he was better than I expected. I He's not for me. I don't think he's funny. <laughs> right. But his bit reminds me of outdated comedy. Like, you sound yeah. like someone who could totally make it in uh-huh. the 50s because people just made bad jokes like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're really well, terrible. On TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I mean, yeah. And yeah. and so like, but it's also very clear that he like looked up to all of these uh, t- talk show hosts, and like yeah. the that's like, I mean, I think you know Jay Leno monologues are that bad. Yeah, whenever oh, yeah. he was the Tonight oh, yeah. Show guy, or you know yeah. what I'm saying, like, and so I'm not saying that Rupert Republican was good, but I was actually surprised rewatching. I forgot about that too. Yeah. And it's not like Arthur Fleck and Joker where he's just it's bad. Like that's yeah. like they're yeah. really making him. Yeah. Like that's cringe, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's aggressively, yeah, cringe, yeah, cringy, yeah. as my kids would say, yeah, yeah, it's cringy. But I don't think that Rupert Pumpkin, pup, pumpkin, Jesus, uh, <laughs> Rupert Pumpkin is cringy. It's just yeah. like bad. Like I don't like yeah, it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and uh-huh. again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you said anything otherwise. But it, it man, uh-huh. it's, um, I, I actually just really like that scene. That even though I don't think it's funny, I love that he's like kind of successful you know what i'm saying like Uh he's not good but he has people laughing he Uh has all of his mannerisms down like he's clearly been practicing this practicing this every day of his life when he's not you know uh scouting for autographs and and harassing jerry langford you know uh and uh i i really love that scene that that's kind of a a pivotal thing for me because the whole time they make you think he's gonna be arthur fleck right But uh-huh. he's kind of not, and then it makes it almost more believable when he does become famous after his like two and a half years or whatever in, uh, of his yeah. seven year sentence that he serves. Uh, where you know he has this book that came out and he becomes this huge star. Um, <laughs> right. It was like more believable to me because I think uh-huh. all those guys are bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. Uh-huh. I didn't even like Johnny Carson's monologues, though I thought yeah. he was very funny in other ways. Um, yeah. I just think talk shows monologues are terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and Jay Leno, you're absolutely Jay Leno is was terrible. The monologues were terrible. So yeah. bad. And just I, the worst. That- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Joe. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, literally, like literally, like I always thought, I mean, David Letterman, they're 
corny jokes, but he would make you laugh. Like Leno's were well, he was always in on it, right? Yeah, like Letterman yeah. was always in on it. Leno was like, I'm just doing this. Give me some money so I can go buy a car. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, Leno is just so aggressively terrible. It's just like, why are, why are you even bothering with this? Why are we even telling jokes about this? It's just, you know, yeah. you could be so much more insightful in other ways than this, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to kind of start to wrap this up because we kind of did just ramble about it. Uh, I'll, I'll start <laughs> and then I'll let you kind of give me any last thoughts you have on this before we kind of move back into uh, the last uh, three or so films that I want to talk about. Uh, or at least kind of overview, uh, yeah. like we have been, but burp, uh, anyways, <laughs> um, again, I mean, you have Robert De Niro here. I think it takes a true talent, uh, to do so well at acting that you act bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like Rupert Pupkin is so awkward and he's so meticulously awkward you know what I uh-huh. mean? Like, like his yeah. mannerisms and the way he speaks to people. And it's like all cringe, dude. Like he's right. never not that. Um, yeah. And I just love when he's like screaming at his mom and stuff. It just makes him seem so childish. And, yeah. um, but he puts on this big, you know, persona and that uh-huh. big persona, I think it takes a, a real actor to pull it off in that way where it's not uh-huh. either cheesy or it's not like blatantly funny. But you can yeah. you can kind of pull off the desired effect of who this person would really be, which is cringy. Yeah. Um, and so I think De Niro does an awesome job. I 100% agree uh, with Scorsese. Jerry Lewis's performance is so good. And the only time it reminded me of Jerry Lewis is whenever he's running away from Sandra Bernhard, uh, Bernhard yes. and he's like doing his Jerry Lewis run. I'm kind of doing <laughs> a thing on the video that I think you get what uh-huh. I mean. But he it looks like a very like. Uh, Martin and Lewis like run that he's doing a little bit. And I think he just can't run another way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Jerry Lewis, aside from that, Jer- I think Jerry Lewis is awesome. I mean, he flips, he flips the uh, deck here, man. I mean, you know, uh-huh. he's always the joker and the silly guy and he's 100% the straight serious actor in this. And uh-huh. he has some moments where he's the straight guy and kind of a bit, uh, you know, uh, yeah. but uh yeah, that was really great. He he's awesome. Sandra Bernhard's just wild in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. the moments where she shines for me is whenever she goes off on these rants, when she's screaming at Rupert uh for uh-huh. you know to uh give Jerry this note that she has, you know, <laughs> right. or or like outside whenever she's like, uh-huh. You're never gonna give him the note. Why don't you just give it to me? And she's like screaming. It's when she uh-huh. goes into these kind of like frantic scream like meltdowns. Uh-huh. I think she's so good. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, I don't know. I, I'm a, I am just, if, if listeners, if you haven't just, if you haven't figured this out, I'm a huge fan of this movie and, yeah. uh, my buddy, my buddy, Isaac, uh, so like Isaac Horwitz, if you're listening, shout out anyways, uh, Isaac is the one that turned me on to this movie. Um, okay. uh, so actually I lied to you all. I'm putting this into, I didn't see this when I watched his filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this in 2007 cause that's when I met my, my buddy Isaac so he huh. had the movie, and I think I took it and I watched it. So there we go. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, he loves this movie too. I'm a huge fan. I think this is like, I'm not going to use the term criminally underrated, which I've used a lot on this show. But uh-huh. I will say, I think it is it is pretty painful how underrated I think this is. Yeah. Uh, you've you've made a point. I mean, 
do I think this is better than Joker? I probably like Joker better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this movie does something that Joker could never do. And yeah. I think that kind of, uh, and any movie I haven't seen fan actually, mm-hmm. I think I saw yeah. scenes of it on like TV or something. And yeah. I know exactly the movie you're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, other movies that I've seen kind of take this on. I mean, to me, the, it's just my opinion, but I think this just does it the best. And I maybe you could name titles that you think do this kind of a thing, and I might actually be able to say one's better. But um, I don't know. I just think this is like kind of a unique treasure, and uh, I, I'm a big fan. Uh, last thoughts, Joe. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to say? Uh, you know, I you know I have one more one more character moment I um, I wanted to to mention before you know. Then I'm, I'm kind of moving back just a little bit, but the the interactions between De Niro and, and Sandra Bernhard were my favorite thing. So maybe good. In the movie. Yeah. And, and he has just this air of superiority about him and he, he just, he thinks he's so much better than her. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, they're, they're essentially the same person. Like, like they're, they're defining character traits are almost, I mean, they have different yeah. personalities, but yeah. One's more manic and then one is more like socially yeah. awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like Sandra Bernhard wants to, wants to marry him. De Niro wants to be his buddy. Right. And but they both have this same delusion, and and you know that that letter, that whole letter thing, reminded me so much of Silver Linings Playbook, where you know when when uh, Bradley Cooper is is trying to get Jennifer Lawrence to give his his estranged wife, you know who has a, re- a restraining order put on him, trying to give this letter, and it's just constantly like, did you give her the letter yet? Did you give her, give Nikki the letter, and it's like <laughs> that that whole scene is. Rem- I almost wonder if if um, you know there's a little homage in there. But David O. Russell uh, is a big Scorsese fan, as seen yeah. in American Hustle, especially. But yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so that you know, there was a little bit of that. But um, for you know, for me, this is like a, I don't know. It's maybe a solid three, three and a half out of five stars. You know, if I'm if I'm putting on the critic hat, um, it, you know, it's it, like I said, not one of his best, but it's it maybe a little bit unfairly forgotten. You know, over time, um, it, it's not. It's not a, it's not a bad movie by any means. It's not even close, probably to his worst, even of this period, um, and certainly not his worst overall. Um, it, it's kind of a middle of the pack, and, and that's that's honestly probably why it's been forgotten. It's not. It doesn't do the splashy. It doesn't have the splashy hyper violence that you know, Goodfellas and Casino and um, you know um, Gangs of New York you know has. Yeah. You know, and and it's not a it's not a big sprawling epic. You know. Um, so it, it kind of, I kind of think it's kind of just a quieter movie of De Niro's or not De Niro's of Scorsese's of De Niro's too, I guess. Um, so I, I think it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, I agree. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree unfairly. Um, but you know, but it, it's not to me, not at the same time, not a massive, just some gem that's hiding somewhere. I, I think it's just, it's a solid film. If you, if you run across it, check it out. Yeah, yeah. You, you you mentioned putting the critic hat on. We should do this normally. Uh, you did uh-huh. three and a half. You said about a three, three and a half. I had yeah. a solid four. So no matter okay. how much I'm praising it, we're not talking yeah. about five stars here. Like I, I right. also acknowledge uh, what mm-hmm. you said that this is um, it is what it is. I think it's great. I think it does cinematically some really interesting things mm-hmm. um, that you just don't see because Scorsese does it better <laughs> like uh yeah. he's just that good and he can take something like like uh he can base well 
he can take a character like Rupert Pupkin and kind of put him in some strange like Travis Bickle scenario. You know what I mean? Like like he can somehow take this like taxi driver vibe, uh, which you've kind of brought up a few times. And I think there are kind of you could draw kind of comparisons, very broad comparisons. Uh, just to clarify, if you haven't seen The King of Comedy, they're very different movies. Oh, but, very different. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you if you like uh, Scorsese as an auteur, you'll see uh, kind of how the movies that he did prior to The King of Comedy have kind of built up to that movie. Um, yeah. I love the way it looks, man. I love oh man, oh Bernhard and and De Niro, so good. I'm so glad you brought that up there. Yeah, they really are kind of the the gems of that movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that about wraps up uh, our talk on the King of Comedy. We're going to have some more polls uh, coming out as we do more uh, films on filmmakers. I know that right now we're planning on December 8th doing, uh, unless something crazy cool comes up and we have to postpone it, it is, uh, we're going to be celebrating um, John Cassavetti's birthday, and he's one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. So we're going to see what movies you guys choose there. So please go check us out on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram, Medium Cool Pod. Go check us out so you can be a part of the fun. All right, all right, all right, all right. We just did the King of Comedy. Um, we only are going to talk uh, about three more, three and a half, kind of, uh, real quick. I don't think this would take too much longer, but Joe, are you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. You, you mentioned uh, wanting to talk about this movie, so I watched it yesterday, or maybe uh-huh. two days ago. Yeah. Uh, but right after uh, we see Rupert Pupkin and The King of Comedy, he makes another kind of bizarrely uh, like under-the-radar movie called After Hours, starring uh-huh. Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Tommy Chong, Cheech Marin, Terry Garr, John Hurd, which is the dad from Home Alone, Catherine O'Hara, which is the mom from Home Alone, and just a ton of other people, okay? Tons of people in this movie. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. (laughs) So when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. Didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. Yeah. Gigi! So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. You poor boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on! but she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? I'm in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. Now, this part, you're going to say, oh, you're lying to me. Don't lie to me, but it's true. Mohawk this guy. I couldn't believe that. That's him. Tell him. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I got to tell who you didn't do what. Help! 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 Call the police. What's with you? Are you nuts or something? Luckily, there was this girl who saw the whole thing. You're dead, pal. I'm what? So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? 
What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all they After hours, when anything can happen, and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? That's all they Um, the synopsis, an ordinary bachelor has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho whom he met that evening at a coffee shop. You can't really synopsisize. I just made that word up. Did you like it? You can't really synopsisize this movie any better than that because it's just a wild experience. Yeah. Um, so it had a budget of 4.5 million, uh, did much better than the King of comedy with, uh, over doubling it with 10.6 million. Again, still pretty good for the early eighties. Um, mm-hmm. we're getting into blockbuster territory at that point. So you have your Raiders of the lost arcs and, you know, uh, jaws and like all these huge star Wars that are making like so much money. Um, but for a movie like this kind of like a little independent feature, this is another, Passion project uh, of sorts, uh, you can tell. And uh, yeah, um, if you don't know who Griffin Dunn is, he is our he is our uh, star here, and uh, he was in um, uh, a werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London. Ameri- yeah. Thank you. I was like, I can't think of the name of that. American Werewolf <laughs> in London. Yep, he's the friend who gets slashed up and and haunts uh, the protagonist. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, so, so I talked about the King of comedy being one of those movies and then I want to hear what you have to say, but, uh, being one of those movies that's kind of in that weird, like bringing out your dead category where it's like just this kind of unique, not like other Scorsese movies, but you can kind of see Scorsese in them. Um, I put this kind of in that category too, not necessarily in terms of like good or bad, uh, yeah. but just kind of like just this kind of unique, weird thing. I'd never seen it before. Uh, so I watched it for the first time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, it just, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I don't know where to start. So I'm going to let you, Joe, uh, you wanted to talk about this, man. What do yeah, you, how do you feel about after hours? Yeah. Yeah. To me, this is the one that's kind of the gem that people kind of overlook. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned some of the cast, you know, I mean, for people who are not, of my age or, you know, or, or older, um, Cheech and Chong were at this time were giant stars. Like they were huge comedy stars at this time. So having them in the movie is, uh, you know, was a big deal, right? Like this is a big thing, but you know, so you, you mentioned them, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned a host of other people, people who didn't mention that. I'm just kind of looking through the, the cast list too. Linda Fiorentino. Yep. Uh, Terry Gar, who was pretty big at the time. I said Terry Gar. Thank you very much. You said Terry okay. Gar. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I missed that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, Dick Miller, who was in every eighties movie period. He was in, uh, he was in gremlins. He was in the Terminator. Um, he's, you know, he's, he is like one of the, the, that guys of the eighties. Um, Will Patton, who has gone on to, you know, be a relatively big star. Um, Bronson Pinchot, <laughs> Who was in um, a uh, a sitcom in the late '80s called uh, Perfect Strangers? Oh yeah, uh, he, I forgot he was. He's at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's that's you know that's that's an interesting kind of eclectic cast. I mean, in, this in is to the people you mentioned. Yeah, this is really early for a lot of these people. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. like, I don't think that there's a character in here that didn't go on or was already 
a uh-huh. person you would recognize. Like at the very, right. maybe not like a huge star, but like you mm-hmm. recognize them because like you said, you know, some of these people go on to be like the face of the eighties. Like they're in every movie, yeah. you know? Right. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, this is just a movie that it's just one of those like nights from hell kind of movies where, you know, he's, he's just trying to meet this girl and just basically everything in the world goes wrong. Right. So, um, it, it's just, it's just kind of a fun, nutty movie. Um, it, it's, man, it's not nearly as heavy as most Scorsese movies are. Um, you know, there, there's such a weight to most of them, and King of Comedy included. Um, but this one is just light and airy and fun. And, you know, it's, you know, a, a guy gets put you know, into like full a life-size paper mache he gets made into a paper mache <laughs> at the end and uh you know imagine a, a full body cast uh but it's it's just that kind of movie it, it's just it's just goofy and silly and fun um and, and it's very much worth watching it's very yeah. much worth checking out i mean this this movie was literally made because scorsese like i said he wanted to retire after raging bull and just do documentaries and he literally made this just because he wanted to see if he still had it, like, yeah. like if he right. could make it. So it's not, I mean, I love that you're like, yeah, it's like way more fluffy. It's way more, uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, chill. And like one of the early scenes is someone killing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it, I, we're laughing because in the movie, of course, they, they uh-huh. don't make light of suicide, but it's more of like, right. actually it has really huge consequences in the movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's some dark humor in it, but yeah, it, it really is. It, it's um, it almost at times reminded me of uh, a Jim Jarmusch movie. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Like some of those yeah, earlier fair. ones where Absolutely. like uh, like Midnight tr- or uh, Mystery Train or, uh, you know, like all those types of ensemble casts like that where people are kind of like walking around talking to people. This moves quicker than his movies, so it's it's not the same. Yeah. Um, but uh <laughs> But yeah, it has that idea of like he just like randomly keeps meeting these people, and honestly, the whole point is he they raise the fare uh, for the uh, for the train, and yeah. he just wants to go home. That's right. the whole premise of the like the synopsis yeah. I read is actually like just uh, uh, just say that guy yeah. goes to Soho to meet girl he met that evening in a coffee shop can't go home. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Like that's literally the movie. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Any any final thoughts with After Hours? <laughs> no. That yeah. That's it. That that's that's to me is kind of the one. Go yeah. Go check it out. Um, if if there's if if you I'll just say it like this. If you start watching The King of Comedy, and it's not your thing, maybe shift over to After Hours and see if that's not you know if that's not a little more accessible to you. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Actually, you yeah. know, I I feel I feel like you and I are flipped. On, uh-huh. on uh, granted, I I don't know if you like After Hours as much as I like King of Comedy, but my point is, no. I feel yeah. like this one is the one I could you know give mm-hmm. or take. But I agree with you. If you're not if you're not super into the King of Comedy, uh, yeah. definitely get this is another kind of unique, weird Scorsese movie you should mm-hmm. check out. The whole time I was watching it, my wife was playing Animal Crossing on our Nintendo Switch, you know, <laughs> and uh, she just like, kept looking up and she's just like, "Why is this movie so weird?" And I'm just like, right. I, I can't answer that yet. I, I haven't done the research on this yet because I've known about this movie and I knew that there's like a cult following because it's not like yeah. a big movie. No, um, but like there is like definitely a cult following to this. So definitely check out After Hours. Um, you know, so that was in 1983. And then a few years later, 
He does The Color of Money. And this is uh, starring Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, and John Turturro, to name a few. There's a lot of people, and I'm sure Joe will fill us in if they're way more notable names. But um, uh, the synopsis is former pool hustler Fast Eddie Felsen decides he wants to return to the game by taking a pupil. He meets talented but green Vincent Loria uh, and proposes a partnership. As they tour pool halls, Eddie teaches Vincent the tricks of scamming, but he eventually grows frustrated with Vincent's showboat antics, leading to an argument and a fallout. Eddie takes up playing again and soon crosses paths with Vincent as an opponent. Now, Joe, I'm going to come out and say this. Uh I haven't seen this since probably 2004, and I remember watching Uh this really late at night. I need to see this again. Uh, I remember a few scenes. I don't remember it very well, but I will say this. Uh, first off, budget fourteen million made sixteen point four million, so not great, especially with the star power. Tom Cruise mm-hmm. wasn't like huge, but this is, uh, but he was like a name, right? Paul yes. Newman was like older at this point, maybe not uh-huh. quite as hip for some of the new cats, but like still yeah. like a name, right? Like if yeah. De Niro was in something now, right? Um, uh-huh. And of course, John Turturro is always great, even though that was early for him as well, but. Right. Uh, you know, this is a late sequel to Robert Rossin's The Hustler, which yes. is a great movie. Oh, such okay. a great movie. It is Absolutely. so great. It's on my, you can, yeah, you can no. probably see my Blu-ray shelf back there. You can't read uh-huh. anything, though, but it's there. Yeah, um, if you haven't Blu-ray. seen The Hustler, that is a great, great yes. movie. And Paul Absolutely. Newman is fantastic. That opening scene, I know we're talking about the wrong movie now, but that opening uh-huh. scene where it, it tells the whole movie. In yeah. one moment where uh-huh. he's like hustling this dude and he's playing bad. And then he just does one move that knocks everything in. And it's right. one, it's like one long. Sh- I don't know if the whole scene's one shot, but when, when the balls are hit in, that's uh-huh. a real shot. Like there's yeah. no CG. This is 61. Right. You know, there's right. no trick. Like, uh-huh. I don't know if they had a double come in when the camera was on the table and someone else uh-huh. hit it in. I don't know exactly how they did it, but that yeah. opening scene to the hustler Put that up against anything, dude. I love yep. The Hustler. So anyways, uh, you probably, I know that you watched this a little more recently than me. Um, why don't you start this off? Like, how do you feel yeah. about The Hustler? Yeah. So, yeah. So let, let me give a, a little more of the context. First of all, um, this came out in 86, as we just said. Yes. Um, October of 86. So this would have been just after Top Gun. So Tom Cruise was. Oh. Yeah. So this was this was after Risky Business, a couple of years after Risky Business. It was after just after the same year, but just a couple of months after Top Gun. I thought Top Gun was the next year. My bad. So, yeah, yeah I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah that, this was summer of 86 was, was I want to say July of 86 was Top Gun. And then, um, yeah, so th- this you might even call us a disappointment, given that he was such a big star at this yeah. point. And Paul Newman was, you know, um, was a respected elder. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, the kind of the lack of financial success is kind of mystifying to me, um, because it, it's a cool movie and man, Tom Cruise has the biggest hair in this movie. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> see it, just, just like watch the trailer and just see how massive his hair is. I don't think his hair has been like this in any other movie. It's, it's tall and thick and. Yeah, not quite maybe like kid and play kind of proportions, but for him, man, it's big. So, and and it's a and, and it's a good it's another like De Niro's mustache and King of Comedy. It's its own little character in a way. 
Um, and, and he is, he's so cocky in this movie. Um, and that's, that's the fun thing is to see him. He, he's getting a, an acting lesson in this film, right. From, from Paul Newman. And he, in, in many ways, it kind of mirrors their relationship in a, in a sense, you know, he's the young upstart and, and Paul Newman is the, the grizzled old veteran. He was the, you know, the former, you know, gigantic movie star who's now, uh, you know, settling into this, this other role, but still has some things to teach the, the young punk, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's fun to see them interact. Um, you, you know, you, you mentioned the, the other names. I don't know if you mentioned, you mentioned John Turturro, Forrest Whitaker is also in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, I, I had to look at, I, I just kind of went through the cast list on, honestly, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, um, who would go on to be in the abyss and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, among other things. Um, she is a love interest in this movie. Um, so, you know, there, there's some recognizable people for sure. Um, Absolutely. And, and another thing. Yeah. And this is. Go ahead. I was just going to say another thing is uh, think about, uh, you know, you have you have uh, Raging Bull, which, um, you know, did it was a, a pretty decent success. 18 million made 23.4. Then you do the oh. King of Comedy, which is the biggest flop I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and then you do After Hours where imagine this. So he's done so well up to up to Raging Bull. And then he mm-hmm. does the King of Comedy and he gets 19 million dollar budget and he completely botches it. Right. And then uh, which I don't blame him, but you know what I mean? And then, so the studio's like, holy shit, dude, we just gave you a lot of money and you just like fucked us. So then like he gets a $4.5 million budget to do after hours, you know, just for fun, just to see if he can still do it. Um, But it it makes money again. So then he's given a studio project Mm -hmm. because the color of money is very much a studio project. Let's not, this is not a Scorsese passion. Now he loves the the hustler. I'm not saying that he didn't have passion for this. That's not what I mean, but I'm saying this wasn't like a passion, like a pet project, right? This is his like next studio project. So it's different, but I'm going to say something I remember and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. Uh, So I remember this being like a lot quicker paced than definitely than like after hours in the king of comedy, probably than like most things he did. But I feel yeah. like this is the first, one of the first times at least, that we really get the Scorsese from Goodfellas and stuff in terms yeah. of pacing. Like he speeds yeah. this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got those those kind of faster cuts. Um, yeah. So it yeah it doesn't it doesn't linger the yes the way some of his other movies. Yeah, you you have that right. The the pace is definitely faster. Uh, and it's funny because I was I was gonna say this era of Tom Cruise um, somewhere in here. After, just shortly after this, Tom Cruise is making Cocktail, which, <laughs> yeah, which in a lot of ways is, I mean, it's a far inferior movie to this, but, um, it, you know, it it takes a similar kind of profession and makes it, you know, to try to make it exciting, right? And you know, the the, the way they're flipping bottles on this, you know, they're hitting pool balls and you know, the color of money. So, uh, you know, it's it's got that it's got a little bit of that editing here and there, and it's 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 a that's a bit of a sports movie, you know, um, but it's you know again being Scorsese, it's it's much much more than that, obviously. Oh, yeah. So yeah. So we're already going into full review over this movie. I'm going to cut this one short. Uh, <laughs> the Color of Money. That's that's from 1986, and we're really nearing to the end. His last feature in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, Scorsese's last feature 
is definitely it's the project he wanted to do after Raging Bull. It is definitely a deeply close, passionate project because he grew up Catholic. <laughs> And he made probably one of the most controversial movies in the 80s, hands Absolutely. down, if not uh-huh. ever, uh, is yeah. The Last Temptation of Christ from 1988. And this is his last full-length feature. Um, I'll just say this. 1989, he did the segment Life Lessons in New York Stories. Uh-huh. Meh. I, I actually don't like New York. Dude, Woody Allen, Francis Ford mm-hmm. Coppola, Martin Scorsese. How could that movie be bad? And it is. Right. <laughs> Like, I think that movie's bad. Like, I I hate that movie. So I'm acknowledging it now because I want to end on Last Temptation of Christ because we don't need to talk about New York stories. Skip it. Um, I actually think Scorsese's is the best one. So, I mean, you know, it has Nick Nolte in it, if I remember correctly. So go check that out. But um, to complete his filmography, that's what I'll say. Anyways, The Last Temptation of Christ stars uh, Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel, Barbara Hershey, that's just to name a few. Joe's going to fill us in on more, I guarantee. <laughs> but like, um, but uh, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's Willem that? Dafoe, How's that for a start? I can't even get it out with without cracking up. Um, uh-huh. Basically, you know, I have a synopsis here. I'm actually just going to cut it down and just wing it here. Um, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus. Harvey Keitel, uh, I think he plays Peter, if I'm not mistaken. Mistaken. See here, I Harvey already... Keitel is Judas. Ju- oh my God, I'm so dumb. Yeah, I, I can't remember because um, again, it's been a long time since I've seen this as well. I see here, I went off, I went off script, and then that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> Harvey anyways... Keitel was becoming Judas in his mind. So. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that, oh, there's an inside baseball joke. Yeah, right I think I feel like there's you know like wrestling happening right now. Um, <laughs> anyways, so uh, it's Willem Dafoe plays Jesus. Harvey Keitel plays Judas. Uh, I think Barbara Hershey is uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mag- right? Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, basically, it tells the story of Jesus, but it is essentially uh, taken from, I believe it's the book, and it, it is exploring the idea uh, that Jesus, like, what if Jesus had left the cross? Where would he be? Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in a, uh, like... Christian evangelical conservative household. I was brought up only listening to Christian music. You know, I was brought up hearing the story of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, my whole church went to see the passion of the Christ in like, what was that? 2003 or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whenever that was, uh, yeah. that was like a big deal. Uh, and like I was worship leader. I was on the, as we called the big church. I was the youth worship leader. I was the big church drummer. Um, I'm doing air quotes when I say big church, uh, but like, you know, I, I get this movie, right? Like I, not to say other people wouldn't, but I'm just saying like, I come coming from a religious history. Um, I, I know Jesus. Now here's the thing. Uh, when I saw the last temptation of Christ, this is the one I saw later as well. I think I saw this in like 2008 or nine. Yeah. Uh, for the first time, and uh, it was it was honestly one that when I first got into film, I was still much more religious than I am now, uh, or at least at least much closer to what I was. I should say I'm vastly different now, but um, I was almost afraid to watch this because of the the <laughs> yeah. controversy and the kind of. Like, it's, like, sacrilegious. It's, like, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I was, like, hearing all of this crazy shit. And the thing is, like, Jesus still dies for everyone. Like, the whole, like, yeah. <laughs> this is what blows my mind. People think it's, like, 
stupid because he gets off the cross and hangs out with Mary Magdalene. They have children. They live happily ever after. It's in his fucking mind. He thinks about it. It's the last temptation. Satan is tempting Christ to leave the cross because he knows if Christ dies, he will go and he will be the gateway to humanity, the souls of human beings entering you know, heaven. That's like what Satan's trying to tempt him away from, right? He's trying to tempt him into sin. Because if Jesus, the Son of God, is tempted into sin and he is a sinner, then what does that make us? We human yeah. heathens, right? Like, and so, like, it pisses me off because I think this is a way better movie in telling who Christ yeah. is than fucking Passion of the Christ or right. a- name any Jesus movie. Like, yeah. Like this movie actually does an awesome job. Now, now do I think, you know, Jesus is like hanging out in like, you know, a prostitute's house and watching Mary Magdalene fuck guys? Like maybe not, but cool if you are, dude. Like to each their own. Like it doesn't change how I feel about it. Um and he's not doing it in like a weird well, I mean it's inherently weird, but I mean like yeah. but I don't think it doesn't feel like he's being creepy. He just wants to talk I mean, to this woman, you know. Let's put it this way. That's not weird for Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> like that, this is like Wednesday for Willem Dafoe. Yeah, absolutely. And I forget and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but have you seen this? I I did. It's it's been it's been a long time. Um I you know I remember when this came out. Um and I was you know I, I don't know what I, how much I've talked about my childhood, but I was kind of on the periphery of a very religious family. So my, my mom is not particularly religious. It's never been particularly religious, but most, she has five sisters and pretty much all of them are. Yeah. So she got a lot of flack for us. And there was a lot of you gotta get you gotta get those kids into church. Those kids are gonna be you know, you know, terrible. They're gonna you know, blah 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 blah. They're not being raised right and all this stuff. And now here so, you are. No, I'm just right. <laughs> and so there was a lot. So there was a lot of a lot of consternation about that. And I remember when this movie came out, and I had a lot of curiosity about it. And I was like, huh, I don't. But at the same time, I was like, I don't. You know, I I knew that the conservative Christians really hated it and. So maybe I knew someday I'd want to watch it, but um, I I don't remember exactly when I watched it. It's been some years ago, um, and I remember just being like, "Wow, that's it! That's the that's what everybody was so up in arms about." But that's what that's what most of these kind of controversies are, you know, yeah. <laughs> is a is a, a a you know big healthy scoop of who cares, you know, yeah, and that that's kind of how that how i saw it too i was like it, it plays like a fine enough movie to me uh you know i i enjoyed willem dafoe i enjoy willem dafoe and most everything he's in and i i certainly thought he was an interesting choice to play jesus and um i thought he did a great job and you know i was like okay that's but that was kind of the extent yeah. of my thought <laughs> and and if i'm not mistaken i believe uh and i kind of want to look it up now but i i believe that uh, andre gregory plays uh john the baptist which oh, wow. is um pretty awesome if you're not familiar with andre gregory and i'm looking it up now but uh-huh. if you're not familiar with andre gregory and you're listening uh i i yeah it is him i i strongly recommend <laughs> i don't know if you've seen this joe but go check out my dinner with andre it's a 90-minute movie of Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory sitting down for dinner 
and it is literally the duration of them waiting, ordering, getting their food, and leaving. Uh-huh. And it's just a conversation. There are three shots. There's a close-up of Andre Gregory, uh, like a, 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 a medium close-up of Andre Gregory, medium close-up of Wallace Shawn, and then a, a two, like a wide shot of both of them. That's the whole movie. Generic lighting. It's by Louis uh-huh. Mal, who's like a really famous. He was on the periphery of the French New Wave, but he made movies... Uh, right. Very popular movies all throughout from decades. Awesome, awesome filmmaker. I love dialogue, and I'm uh-huh. telling you, Andre Gregory is tells some of the most fascinating stories. This isn't a documentary, by the way. This is like what you would overhear hearing two people talk. It's like you're yeah. you're at like a table next to them, and you're hearing the most fascinating thing. They're playing themselves, and they are friends oh. in real life. But they're telling you know Andre Gregory's been to like Europe, and he's like tripped out with all these like crazy hippies and shit. Like, and he's talking to trees are talking to him. Like, dude, it gets f- like wild. And yeah. um, I adore that. Mo- like wh- whoever needs that on Blu-ray? Like, why would you yeah. need that movie? And I'm definitely going to have it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like Criterion no. put it out and, and I'm like definitely yeah. buying that whole box yeah. set. Um, huh. Anyways, but Andre Gregory is great. Last yeah. temptation of Christ. Um, I think it's kind of like I think it has a uh, spiritual successor to kind of use similar terms um, mm-hmm. with silence. D- did you like silence? Did you see that from a I, few years back? I did, and I was. I want to say I saw it in the sense that it was playing, and I watched it. Um, I thought it was okay. I, I didn't love it, um, but at the same time, it was. I, I was in the midst of a crunch of movie watching, so it was like just another movie it, and I was kind of like, eh. yeah, yeah, it did. It, it was like one of those movies that came out, I think super early in the year actually. And then people uh-huh. were like scrambling to see it at the end because they missed it. And it was like a war yeah. season. Um, yeah. I can't remember though, but I adore that movie. So yeah. like the last temptation of Christ. And then if you watch silence, which is actually based on a book that is a remake of a Japanese movie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you, you got to, I don't know. I think those are really good companion pieces if you want to see how uh, Scorsese deals with religion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very interesting, like getting his idea of Christ being a Catholic, but also looking at like missionaries going into like other countries, particularly into, yeah. into like Asia mm-hmm. uh, and like basically people being persecuted because they don't want you there. <laughs> like, but you're yes. trying to spread the gospel. Right. Um, I, I, I really love that. But anyways, uh, I would put this movie cause this one again is one of those just like, I don't know many other, he did Kundun and like a few others that I would kind of put into this kind of like random category of stuff. I mean, he's just all over the place. Dude does yeah, yeah. wild stuff, but I yeah. can always tell it's him. Um, right. And I, I, I'm a big fan of last temptation of Christ. I actually look forward yeah. To also owning the Criterion version of this on yes. Blu-ray, I need to rewatch it again. Um, but yeah, uh, any final thoughts about last? Let, let me let me just tell you. Let me just go back to you know um, my dinner with Andre. I have not seen that. I have seen my breakfast with Blassie though. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> which, man, which we talked about Andy Kaufman earlier, uh, very briefly, uh, and and then we we mentioned wrestling a second ago. Um, there, I, I think I've seen maybe you know snippets of my dinner with Andre to know that the kind of brilliance of my breakfast with Blassie by comparison, um, as a I don't know a parody, almost a parody of that movie, um, but a, not maybe not a parody, a loving homage I guess, and 
in a comedic kind of way. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think this is one of those ones that for, you know, if you're doing a, if you're someone who's not seen a Scorsese movie, this is probably one of the ones that, you know, if, if you're glossing over his filmography, you probably need to stop and take a look at it at the very least. Yeah. Um, it, you know, that this is one of his highlights. So, um, you know, de- definitely, you know, stop and, and, and smell the roses on that one. Cause it's, it's, it's worth watching. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know how else to put that. That's great. Yeah. And, and definitely check. I mean, it's not going to be for everybody, but if you're into, if you're like a cinephile and you're going through the filmography and you want to see mm-hmm. hands down his most controversial film, yeah. um, but also just one of the great cinematic controversies of, I mean, you had the exorcist in the seventies and then mm-hmm. maybe this was the next biggest one. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is like a really, really big deal. Again, New York stories, in my view, is something you can just overlook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but you know, we we decided to do this seventies and eighties because, as I said at the at the top, you know, we there's so much to talk about with Scorsese, and uh, so you know, we'll get to the nineties where we can dig into stuff like Goodfellas, The Age of Innocence, um, Casino, uh, you know, Bringing Out the Dead, all all of those uh, awesome movies that he did. Like I said, I think we could easily do a whole show just on that decade because he has so many bangers um but yeah we'll, we'll we'll get to that at some point but this about wraps us up um for for this episode uh joe any any final thoughts no i mean this is you know this is the point where you know as as we leave scorsese where he's he certainly is is one of the top filmmakers um kind of going um he'll he'll really i think kind of hit his apex over his next several movies, um, you know, as, as we get into the nineties, but, uh, last temptation of Christ, I, you know, uh, you know, I was a kid at the time. Um, I was aware of after hours, um, because we owned it on VHS and I was aware of, um, taxi driver and raging bull. But, um, so, you know, I, I knew that, you know, he was a star, but, you know, we, we kind of went over that, that period there where he had these couple of flops and, and he needed to, to bounce back. And, and last temptation of Christ was that moment where I think where he bounced back, um, in the consciousness. And then, uh, you know, Goodfellas is coming up, Cape Fear is coming up and, and that's when he really, you know, hits, you know, becomes the, the man I think in, in Hollywood. So, um, we're, we're kind of getting, we're kind of just getting, digging into the good stuff, I think coming up yeah. pretty soon. And and think about this too, you know, uh, it, like the Last Temptation of Christ. I mean, it it was. I mean, it it was a budget of seven million. It had a box office of eight point four, which is mostly because every church group and Catholic group banned this movie. So I mean, yeah, uh, you know, and again, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, something like fifty five. I can't remember. It's like fifty five percent of Americans. I don't know what it was then. Probably yeah. more. Uh, identify as Christian, whether they're active participants or whatever. If you you know ask mm-hmm. them, they would say they are Christian. So yeah. I mean, we're talking about a huge population of people. Again, yeah, probably yeah. more than. Uh, and so you know, the Last Temptation of Christ. I don't know if it's necessarily what put him on the map. It's almost one of those things where it's like, uh, like any, um. What's the thing? Like any any press is good press, or what? What's yes, the, what's exactly the, right. Yeah, what's yeah, yeah. Any press is good press. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like he's getting a ton here, and you're spot on because what it ultimately yeah. does is yes, he does that short New York stories that we're not going to talk about, but like right. um, even though it's the best one, but um, like yeah, Goodfellas. Uh-huh. I mean, that's is there a movie that 
is like a bigger staple in his career. Like, yes, he did a lot of classics, but that's kind of like, yes, he has Taxi Driver. Yes, he has Raging Bull. Um, great for their decades. Easy. Great of all ever. But I mean, like their decades, definitely exceptional. Uh, yeah. But then you get these moments uh, where like it's not just critics loving him anymore. And like, right. you know, people like he's a household name after Goodfellas. He's everywhere and so yeah. yeah i'm looking very forward um i want to have my buddy jake from he graduated from afi he's a screenwriter in la i want to have him on because uh he and i are huge fans of uh what i will call uh the uh gangster trilogy that he did um and and the gangster trilogy for me for a while was goodfellas casino and funny enough i put the wolf of wall street in it um and i considered them gangsters of a different kind until the irishman yeah. came out so my new trilogy is Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. I think I think for me they're all five stars. I, I think yeah. they're all brilliant. I think Casino is criminally, criminally misunderstood and underrated. Using that term twice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will, dude. I will fight. You. Okay. Good. All right. Because yeah, <laughs> fight me at Austin Glidden on Twitter. Bring it. Because I will. Uh -huh. I will defend Casino to the death. It is not just a rehash of Goodfellas. It is doing something completely different. And oh. all three of those tell a great story, and I don't actually think it was on purpose. But you can actually see um, a, a wonderful story kind of unfold. So uh, I can't wait to get to the 90s uh, mm -hmm. just for that reason alone, you know, just to yeah. be able to dig into those. But anyways, I'm rambling now. That is our show for today as we celebrate Martin Scorsese's birthday uh, to Marty. I haven't really earned calling you that. But still, to Mr. Scorsese, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, Joe, I, I think I think that's it for us, man. Yeah, yeah, that, that's all we got. We we didn't mention that he directed Bad, the Michael Jackson, the video for Bad. I was but focusing hey. on features, but yes, yeah. he, he did Bad. Yep, uh -huh. it's, and a terrific video. Um, he did not do Weird Al Yankovic's Fat, but <laughs> you know, but we know where the influence. He was an inspiration. He, yeah, absolutely, he was. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks. <laughs> all right. See you guys later. All right, that was our conversation about Martin Scorsese celebrating his 78th birthday again. Mr. Scorsese, easy for me to say, Mr. Scorsese, happy birthday, man. Uh, seriously, I hope it's wonderful. It's not like you're ever going to listen to this, but man, if you did, that'd be tight. You should totally reach out to us at facebook.com backslash mediumcoolpod, or you could search mediumcoolpod on Instagram or at mediumcoolpod on Twitter. Again, you'll probably never hear this, but if you do, you could also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com if you wanted to. But anyways, uh, that was Joe and I talking about uh, Martin Scorsese. I thought that we were going to disagree a whole lot more than we did on The King of Comedy, just based on little text things or, or maybe just like as we were just starting to record him saying, man, I can't wait to fight with you about this movie. He said something like that to me, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be so good. But, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys love Martin Scorsese as much as we do. Um, and, you know, he, he really is deserving of of your, your viewership. Uh, I, I strongly encourage you to go check out The King of Comedy. If you haven't seen Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, you need to go do that now. That's not even a joke. Like, get out there and do it, because it is so 
good. But for now, just know that we love you. We appreciate all of your support. Uh, Please keep up with all the things we're doing on social media. And until next week, we love you. Good night. Good luck. Take it easy.